Hey, this is Eduardo Sanchez, and you're listening to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. podcast where we're dead serious about horror movies. This is a very special episode where we are celebrating the 10-year anniversary of HMP. Episode 1 launched on October 25th, 2013, and we just recently hit the decade mark on October 25th, 2023. Now, to further hype this podcast party a little bit, this 10-year celebration episode is releasing through the usual HMP feed, of course as well as the feed for Jay of the Dead's new horror movies. So in case listeners over there think I've had a stroke and I'm doing the wrong intro for the wrong show, (laughs) I'm not. This is truly a horror movie podcast episode, and as such, is dedicated to all the listeners and the fans of HMP over the past 10 years. The president, owner, and CEO of HMP, (laughs) Pastor Matt Rawlings, has compiled these hosts this evening and invited us to participate so we can celebrate 10 years with all of you. So listeners, this one's for you. And at Pastor Matt's request this evening, I have the honor of moderating this episode. And I am your emeritus host, Jay of the Dead, broadcasting from Pleasant Grove, Utah. And I'm excited to welcome our HMP hosts. First, we want to welcome the man who has resurrected horror movie podcast, the Velasa pastor himself, Pastor Matt Rawlings. Welcome. Thank you, Jay. Look forward to this. This is going to be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and also joining us for this episode will be Jackson the Ripper, <laughs> Jackson Rawlings. I don't know how he feels about that name. He might uh, veto that, but he was unable to record with us this evening, but he will be sending his contributions and we'll be inserting those through the magic of post-production. So we're happy yeah, to say have Jackson. He wanted me to apologize. He, uh, Wolfman can appreciate this. He shot his... He directed, I should say, his first student film um, on Friday, and he is editing tonight. He shot that he only had one day to shoot, and he had a 100-degree fever and was coughing and Mm. and seizing and trying to stay six to ten feet away from everyone. And and he said he wasn't ecstatic with the results, but he's got to edit basically all night and try to get his student film done by tomorrow. Otherwise, he would have been here. When it rains, it pours, right? Exactly. All right. By the way, that expression, I didn't know this. It came from Morton Salt Company, in case anybody's interested in that. Um, (laughs) Now I'm pleased to welcome one of the main hosts of HMP 2.0, the Night Stalker, Nathan Bartabal. Night Stalker, finally. Finally, I have a name. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to use Nathan, the naked Night Stalker, but I didn't think you'd approve of that. No, that's a totally different thing, and that's not for this podcast. That's more Fan of Galaxy After Dark. Okay. Uh, Very happy to be here. Well, thanks, buddy. Thank you. And next, we want to welcome another of the main hosts of HMP 2.0. It is Vicious Victor, the Hellcat Rodriguez. Welcome. Hello, sir. I am also happy to be here, and I can't wait to 
this going. <laughs> yes, me too. And then, of course, we will be hearing from the third main host of HMP 2.0, Blood Spray Trey Whetstone. Uh, he's another host who could not record with us tonight. Blood Spray. <laughs> Blood Spray Trey. But we'll be adding his contributions as well. So you will definitely hear from him. And now we're going to move into the other emeritus hosts of HMP. And uh, Horror Eric is going to love this. When Horror Movie Podcast launched episode one on October 25th, 2013, this host was one of two gentlemen who were with me for that very first episode. You all know him as The Wolfman. Welcome. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, listeners. Nice to horror movies again. Listeners will be happy to hear from you. Thanks for being here. And for those who don't know him, our next HMP alum is a literal zombie expert. He's also the host of Dead Man Still Walking, a zombie cinema solo cast. And he's one of the horror Avengers over on Jay of the Dead's new horror movies. Welcome, Dr. Walking Dead, Kyle Bishop. Hey, Jay, it's me. It's me. Remember me, guys? <laughs> yes. No? no? No one remembers me? <laughs> so I think it's only fitting that I uh, am going to only be talking to you, Jay, because of my <laughs> stellar record of showing up HMP shows and recordings. Yeah, well... <laughs> You were extremely busy at the time, as we've said before, but yeah, so listeners, we're doing a little bit of a magic trick here. Kyle wasn't able to record with the majority of us when this episode was put together, so he and I recorded together today, but I'm just going to insert him throughout the episode as if he is there with us, and so if he seems uncharacteristically quiet and non-responsive, like if somebody smack talks zombies or something... You won't hear Kyle chime in at that well, time. <laughs> no, because my uh, my particular podcasting style is insertion. That's uh, right. <laughs> I've made a career on being inserted into dynamic podcasts. That's right. You know, bring the energy down. That's me. <laughs> and then next, he joins us from episode two, the amazing but subtle one. And who is he, Dave? Dr. Shock Becker from just outside Philadelphia, PA. Yeah. Dog Shock is here. Yes. Thanks, buddy. Yes. And then and it's great to be here. It really, it truly is. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't there from the beginning of HMP, but I was there from what? Episode two? Yep. Yeah. Episode two. Yeah. 99.9% of it. Yeah, right. Exactly. I can't quite claim total ownership because Kyle was there before me, but. I love being part of HMP from episode two on. You're definitely on the most episodes of any of the hosts. Yes. <laughs> yeah. True. <laughs> Absolutely. I think I, well, maybe I might have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Where there's no question. Yeah. yeah. I think it's safe to say you're probably also the one most bleeped out. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what, right. Nathan? I take pride in that. Mm-hmm. Hey, I love my favorite parts. Yes. <laughs> Okay, and now last, but certainly not least, and now that my voice has dropped two octaves, I want to welcome our resident Florida man, our real-life cartoon character, the Gill Man, Joel Robertson. Here's the reason why your voice has dropped two (laughs) octaves, Jay. It's because podcasting with me is like going to see The Expendables for the first time. (laughs) You will grow more hair on your gonads just due to the levels of testosterone pumping through that cinematic marble, right? As you will when podcasting with me. Now, yes. in all seriousness, thank you, Jay, for doing this. I feel bad I couldn't be there 
I honest to God was not feeling good. And I know for me to say low energy by probably by most people's standards, <laughs> at least when I podcast, mm -hmm. uh, they'd be like, yeah, low energy from Joel. That would have been great. But, <laughs> but Joel really was feeling down uh, that day. Both had a couple of kids that were under the weather, blah, blah, blah. Needless to say, I'm sad I missed it. I'm sad I missed Wolfman. I'm sad I missed Doc. I'm sad I missed. I'm trying, and I'm, and I'm obligated like with every single person that was on that episode. But you know what I mean. All of yes, the, everybody. The, the opportunity for like to be there, kind of with the core group. Mm -hmm. I am sad that I missed that. That being said, I am very thankful that you give me this opportunity to disappoint you yet again. <laughs> well, of course, yeah. And and I, you know, I told the people it, you're kind of like. The real reason we have you, you know, singled off here by yourself, you're kind of like one of those betta fish, you know? You oh, gotta, yeah. You got to yeah. keep him by himself. Wait a minute. Are you calling me beta? No, <laughs> he, bro. He I'm will, an alpha fish. He will bite the other hosts. And, I just realized yeah. that. Why do they call it a beta fish when it's freaking, like, aggressive? Isn't that the whole, like, being a beta is sort of like you're mild and... Here's the know, thing. I looked this up, Joel. It's actually because I called it beta my whole life, but I'm like, you know what? I want I want to make sure I get this right. And they spell it with two T's, and I'm like, surely not. And then they say, I did the pronunciation, and they said beta. So okay, so, so well, beta. Okay, so, so beta fish. It's, it's, not, it's a better. It's a better fish than others. <laughs> Sometimes Joel is better off by himself. <laughs> okay, we're gonna get underway in just a minute. I promise. Back when we recorded the passing of the torch show, which is episode two nineteen. We spent a lot of time reminiscing on memory lane about HMP. So we won't spend too much time doing that again tonight because we have a great episode planned where you're going to hear our thoughts on some tremendous horror films. So get ready to jot down some gems. But we could take a minute if anybody has something to say about reaching a decade of horror movie podcasts. So anyone have anything to say about that? Well, I will say, you know, uh, Jay knows I call him the pod father. And... Um, <laughs> He told me when I uh, named him that, he said, oh, you know, people were doing it before me. And there was this cat. There was this podcast and this podcast. I said, yeah, but your idea for HMPJ, where you took it, you know, you and Wolfman and 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 Dave and, and Joel, you guys are the ones, especially you, Jay, that launched a thousand podcasts. And I remember Wolfman at one point, you said our listeners now have so many podcasts, I can't keep up with them. And, you know, and it all goes back really to uh, to H&P. I know that Jackson, you know, we were apart. He was in Virginia and I'm in Ohio. And and Jackson wanted to do a podcast because he, he loved H&P so much. And so we started Father and Son Watch Horror because of that. And so cheers to H&P. Uh, I'm, I'm a teetotaler, but uh, if I had a drink, I'd raise a glass. <laughs> nice thank you i just wanted to say yeah uh, communities are very important especially with things that we love in our case horror movies and uh, i'm sure we have a lot of other things in common but uh this podcast was very instrumental in getting me settled after my big move to the pacific northwest from sunny los angeles so <laughs> thank you for that and um it absolutely helps to have a support system whenever you're going through an odyssey, a life change of any kind. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm with you. really happy to be here for that. Nice. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean, Victor. The Slash Film Cast was that for me. And by the way, mm. it was Wolfman who introduced me to the Slash Film Cast, which is how I learned about podcasting. And so, yeah, I know, I know what you mean about having a, a show to listen to. Thank you. I just looked this up real quick. 
I mean, this is not exhaustive, but horror movies that were released on October 25th, of course, was um, Ghost Ship in 2002. But that's outside of our 10-year range. So during the 10-year span, there were only two Fridays that fell on October 25th. And of course, that was the first Friday when this launched in 2013. And the movie that released that day was Toad Road. <laughs> so I, I am not... Toad Road? I, I don't what? know what the hell that is. I don't know either, but it's supposedly... <laughs> kind of like Blair Witch Project on shrooms. Oh. <laughs> Just wanders <laughs> around sort of dazed. On Toad. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, so that was that one. And then the other one was in 2019, a little film which I did see called Countdown that was released on October 25th. So I thought that may or may not interest no one. But anyways... No, Jay, it interests us to a point. <laughs> okay, good. And as promised, at this point, we'll welcome Jackson to the show by inserting his pre-recorded thoughts about celebrating 10 years of HMP. Hey everybody, Jackson Rawlings, the Sun here, and I am so excited to be a part of the 10th anniversary of Horror Movie Podcast. For those who don't know me, I started listening in 2017 when I was 14 years old, and from that point on, I couldn't get enough. HMP inspired me to start a podcast with my dad called Father and Son Watch Horror Movies, and I mean, you can see we were taking cues from the simplicity of the horror movie podcast branding there. Anyways, here we are seeing the resurrection of Horror Movie Podcast, featuring the host Emeritus and three new horror critics at the helm, and I couldn't be more honored to have played even the smallest part in that. Yeah, I think it's just exciting, uh, you know, 10 years of horror movie podcast and um, getting the whole gang back together is pretty, uh, pretty cool, the old and the new. So mm-hmm. um, I think that's a really cool thing. Yeah, I agree. I would say my primary point about the 10 years of HMP being that I sort of like to say I'm like the Priscilla Barnes, the Terry on Three's Company <laughs> that had to replace Chrissy. That would mean you were Suzanne Summers in this um, particular analogy. OK, so you're welcome. <laughs> OK, Although yeah. I'm going to say Priscilla Barnes, no slouch. Oh, yeah. All right, let's make sure we're clear on that. That's right. But but it's that character. And at least and I think was it Nathan. I think Nathan said, no, I, I see you more as a Mr. Furley to the Ropers. <laughs> <laughs> Which, by the way, I love that I'm making references that probably over half the audience is like, what are, you, yeah. what are, these, what are these people? Uh, yeah, it's a, call, a show called Three's Company's Kids. Three's Company, look it up. They got to remember, we're old, okay? Yes, a little bit, a little bit. So yeah. anyway, point, although to be fair, that show was kind of old even for us. Yeah, true. <laughs> it was like true. a little kid watching in syndication. So the point is... <laughs> Three's company reference aside, I feel like I had to come in as a co-host and fill some very large clown shoes, i.e. yours. <laughs> and that was not easy. So I didn't even try. I just was like, I'm just going to be me and people will love it and or hate it and probably mostly hate it. But that's OK. I was just happy because I loved Wolfman. I love Doc. I love podcast with those guys. We had done the Universal Monsters cast thing together mm-hmm. and they were always good to me. So it was a pleasure to be a part of. It was not always easy sailing. It was it was a I felt like with doing HMP, like all my other podcasts, I'm not saying that I half asked them. That's not a correct. <laughs> that's not a correct way of putting them. Right. But, but the level of like homework, I sometimes felt like I needed to put in for HMP was far more substantial. Like I felt like the standard was significantly higher, at least for myself. No one actually like said this to me. It's not like, oh, you make sure you're no, it wasn't like that. But for me, I just felt like, OK. I'm legit going to have to really pay attention and, and watch this movie in depth and take notes, as opposed to, say, when I'm covering something like a gnome named Norm on Richard Movie Geek, where <laughs> I'll say I pay attention. 
so that I can get, you know, quotes like nice popos and stuff like that. <laughs> but I wasn't really doing it the level of homework. So right. needless to say, it was extra effort in that regard, but it was worth it because H&B fans were awesome. They Listeners, they always just were cool and were so embracing of me even being there, which I was always very, very grateful of. And uh, no, it was just on, dude, it's just an honor. It's just an honor to be nominated. So I am just happy that I got to be a part of something because I'm the kind of person, I, I, I'm sure I've told the story a gajillion times, so sorry for doing the old man thing that every old man in my life does. It seems like, well, certain specific ones that always tell like the same four stories over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. But when I got my little short film into that Fangoria blood drive thing, mm -hmm. name drop. Yes. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> honestly, God, if people think I'm full of crap, I say this, just getting my literal, like one sentence, I met, my name was mentioned in a single sentence in an article in Fangoria. Nice. It was, and I said, I, I, I may have multiple copies of that issue. And I may, every time I go to a con and I find it, I may buy those issues unless they exceed nice. like $10. Then I'm like, eh, I don't need it that bad. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> I will buy them. And because it was just like the idea of just being connected to it in some way. And since with HMP, I was a fan, legitimately a fan prior to being on it. So I list, that was one of the, I, I'm one of those people who I often on listen to podcasts. And back then I was you know, working a, a regular job like the other schmoes. <laughs> and I, so I had a, you know, typical uh, commute and all that kind of stuff. So I listened to a ton of HMP mm -hmm. and I was just a fan. I loved you guys. I mean, I knew you guys also. It was also kind of weird, right, to be a fan of a show and you're also friends with the people who do it. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I was a legit fan. So to be a part of it was very much just an honor, even even for the couple of years I got to do it. So nice. that is my take on HMP's 10 years from a very, very selfish point of view. <laughs> Thank you. Dr. Kyle Bishop, we launched Horror Movie Podcast Episode 1 on October 25th, 2013, and you were on that very first episode with Wolfman and me. What are your thoughts about HMP's 10-year anniversary? Well, it's shocking. I was living in a different house. I was married to a different woman. <laughs> I was at a different point in my career, and uh, some of my horror tastes were different. Mm -hmm. uh, since then, I've seen a lot more horror movies, and I've learned from the greats, yourself included, <laughs> and I'm happy to be fully capable of being a competent horror podcast host. But that's about me. About the show, I've mentioned this before, but I, I did not realize the tremendous gift I was given to be part of a horror movie podcast. <laughs> Sorry, I had a brain aneurysm. Uh, HMP is a thing of legend and people have talked about it and I've heard other people talk about it and I'm thinking, wait, do they mean that show Jay started that I was on for a while? <laughs> it's like, ah, damn it. So I, I, I've said, I wish I had been in a different place then. I wish I'd been able to be right there with everybody for every episode because through that made so many good friends and networked and um, learned so many great things. And then I had to take an extended leave of absence from podcasting in general, tragically. And that's when HMP really hit its stride. So coincidence? No, no. Say. no. <laughs> uh, but I think it's, I think your brilliant naming strategy, much maligned, has proven itself a uh, value. And I just think it's great that a show like that could bring so many different people from around the world together to share their, uh, their common love of this thing that bonds us, which is, you know, horror, terror, scares, grossness, blood, guts, mm -hmm. social commentary. 
So I, I think I think you did some really great work, and I am so thrilled to be involved in the the follow up iteration. But I'm mostly thrilled uh, that this podcast has been resurrected, brought back from the dead, mm-hmm. and that we can now um, be reaching out to a whole new group of people and new fans, and and really connect. Hey, this is Eric from Long Island. You're listening to the Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. All right, so uh, moving into this, here's the preface. The Velocipastor was kind enough to give me the freedom to put together any kind of episode I wanted to celebrate with this, and so I decided to pose three different questions to our panel of HMP hosts. All three questions will require an answer of one horror movie, but here's the catch. The horror movies that we answer from, they all have to be films that were released between that 10-year period of HMP's existence. So we don't necessarily have to cover or mention a film that was covered on the show, of course. It could be any horror movie released during that time. So here is question one. What horror film has haunted you the most? And we're going to kick it off with Pastor Matt. I thought this is a great question. I thought a lot about this because I apparently being a preacher's kid, I don't know, I got cynical early. And so it's hard. I, I was trying to remember the last time a horror film scared me. And honestly, I think it was when I was 11 years old watching Friday 13th Part 2. That film, for whatever reason, Sackhead, Hillbilly Jason <laughs> still scares the crap out of me. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I grew up in Appalachia like you, Jay, and mm-hmm. surrounded by hillbillies with potato sacks. And so it seemed like something that could happen. And uh, it just scared the crap out of me. But as far as like haunted, um, I have to go with because I know this sounds weird and especially to our listeners. And I know a lot of people will, will think this is crazy, but I don't believe in ghosts because of my theological beliefs, but I do believe in demons and so why Friday 13th Part 2 scared me, the one that had thought about probably the most because of some past experiences as a pastor's kid and as a pastor. And I saw this film at midnight with like four people in the theater late. And, you know, it was it was just I was just the whole place was desolate and, and it was paranormal activity. <laughs> I thought a lot about paranormal activity since I saw it in the theater. So I know that goes beyond 2013, but that's. That film, just because of my aversion to experiences with people with Ouija boards and with trying to contact all that kind of stuff, and because I do believe in the demonic, that movie has haunted me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Great pick. Did any of the subsequent sequels bother you by any chance? Yeah, it, not as much. I did like, I thought part two and part three were good. Mm-hmm. I, I thought they were, they were decent. I, I think all the sequels have been okay. I think it's been a fairly solid series, but that first one, I remember just sitting in the theater. Like I said, there are only three or four people in there and I was at the very back. And so it's midnight and I'm watching. And I remember thinking while I was doing it, thinking about the experiences I've had with people who either claimed or their parents claimed that somebody was demon possessed or people who have been messing around Ouija boards in the occult. And having gone through all that kind of stuff, I told one story last time we recorded that hopefully Nathan can salvage 
there were two stories, one when I was a kid, one when I was a teenager being a preacher's kid of kind of experiencing this stuff. And I've had some experiences since. I remember sitting in that theater thinking somebody could be watching this and it could be some kind of trigger. And I remember looking for the exits and wondering how to get out if something went down. So, and that's the only time in a theater I've ever done that. And so, nice. you know, yeah, I like the series, but the first one really just freaked me out. Gotcha. Great answer. Thank you, Pastor Matt. Okay, your old man Joel, then out of the decade that we're talking about of HMP, what horror movie has haunted you the most and why? Okay, this one, honest to God, this was the easiest one of all of them for mm. me. The easiest. Mm-hmm. It's Hereditary from 2018. <laughs> that movie jacked my brain up in a way that I still haven't rewatched it. And it's weird because I don't, it's not like I, yeah, I'm a grown ass man. I'm not scared to watch the movie like when I was a kid. You know what I mean? Like, okay, I saw pieces at 13 and it traumatized me. And then I just avoided it for years and years and years and years, that kind of thing. You never ever slept in a waterbed after that. I never slept in a waterbed. I never uh, involved a chainsaw in any of my uh, daily shenanigans. Yes, exactly. I certainly, I certainly was careful when putting together my nudie puzzles around, you know, parental figures. That's the truth. But that aside, I just hereditary. I wasn't, I don't know what I was expecting. I wasn't really expecting anything. Mm -hmm. So I went into it and I was by myself in the theater and I just, I have not in my adult life had an experience like that. And I get that it didn't affect everybody the same as, although I think a lot of people did like certain key moments in it were really traumatizing, Mm -hmm. but it was just so upsetting. You know what I mean? It was like, it was, and it was weird because there's movies in the past that I've watched that I just felt kind of gross after watching. You know, you're like, okay. I didn't feel gross. It was weird. It was a really weird balance. Like he, I think Ari Aster struck a really great balance with that movie in particular mm-hmm. of really disturbing, really upsetting, really just, uh-huh. but at the end, I didn't feel gross. I just felt like, God, yeah. <laughs> like, I, it sticks with you, doesn't it? It's, to this day. And like yes. I, my, 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 like my wife loves like possession movies and different things like that. So I think she, on some level she'd like it, but I still can't even bring myself to like have her watch it. Like I would feel bad for having her sit through it. You oh. know what I mean? So she hasn't seen it and you no. feel like it would be. The, keep in mind, The Exorcist is one of her all-time favorite movies. So it's not like she can't hang. You know what I mean? Brother, like I yeah. you've got a perfect anniversary present. So honey, <laughs> I've got a real gift for you. Yeah. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, may I just state this is the guy who uh, is no longer married, and <laughs> this information, Fair this enough. advice That's provided true. from. <laughs> That's true. Don't Jay's listen to like, me. Jay's like, I'm bringing you all down with me. Yeah. Oh, go yeah. on your anniversary. Your 30th anniversary was this year, meeting your wife. Show her hereditary, but really build it up. Tell her it's like a love story at its core. Hey, and if she set you aflame by the end of the night, then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. but if she has it, I'll know it's going to last. That's right. Okay. But yeah, no, Hereditary for real is my pick for that one. It, it was easy, literally. I was like, as soon as I saw that was one of the questions, I was like, oh, Hereditary. All right, easy. Done. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> but yes, Hereditary 2018 is my pick for traumatic event of the last decade. <laughs> Exceptional pick. And that was my B plan for what I picked. Yeah. All right, Wolfman, which horror movie has haunted you the most? I thought a lot about this. I There are a few different ways to go with it, I guess. Um, the idea 
that haunts me most is demonic possession, kind of like what Pastor Matt was saying. And so uh, long-time listeners of the podcast will know that um, one of the several movies that I had always refused to watch uh, was The Exorcist. I, I was so scared yeah. to watch that movie. And when I finally did watch it, it became one of my favorite films. But that's still that idea of possession, that something was going to get in here and take over, freaked me out. So the Conjuring movies were big ones, but they didn't really haunt me. I was almost tempted to go with Talk to Me from this last year because it really, <laughs> as simple as it was, yes. it really freaked me out. But <laughs> it hasn't been around long enough to haunt me. So I, I'm going to go the opposite direction and go with one that's... Um, I don't know, more practical in nature, and that's Green Room. Uh, that movie Ooh, has nice. haunted me because it's so similar to the types of experiences that me and a lot of my friends had growing up, playing in these bands and traveling around. And it's like the film that I could imagine happening to like somebody I know, and, right. it, and but taken to the most extreme place, <laughs> I guess. And so that's one that freaks me out. And, and as non-traditional as it is in horror some people might not even consider horror like every cut of the knife i feel in that movie like Mm -hmm. every injury in that movie feels visceral and real and in the moment and it scared the crap out of me and freaks me out and when i think about it (laughs) thinks about like i could have wandered into that as a 17 year old and you know had it go really sideways hey wolfman where did you grew up outside of utah though right I kind of grew up all over the place, but I did grow up in Utah for part of part of my. But were you in ever in like I guess what they now call journalists call the Great Redoubt, where it's like Eastern Washington, the Panhandle of Idaho, that kind of area. I did live in Idaho for a little while, and I have family in Washington and Oregon, so we we spent time in that area for sure. And okay. Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, was like a. a place of legend that was terrifying to, to all of us brown kids that lived in that area. That's what I was getting to. I read, a, uh, I just recently read a book about all of these people moving into that area, and a lot of them call themselves kinesists or something like that. Yeah. And they say they're they're not racist, they just don't want to be around people of different cultures. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> um, it sounds, sounds racist to me, but... But and they're like all these and they started in like eighties moving into like Idaho and, and eastern Washington and, and so forth. And I always wondered if that had any kind of effect on you, you know, looking well, this, back on that movie. I was in the punk scene growing up and skinheads infiltrated the punk scene just because they liked similar music, basically, you know, they kind of grew out of the hardcore punk hardcore scene. And so there were always clashes with skinheads at concerts. You know, there would we would fist fight skinheads a lot. And then there were the I don't want to offend any skinheads out there right now. <laughs> yeah, the supposedly anti-racist skinheads. Why not? Sharps. <laughs> uh, there are a group of skinheads that consider themselves anti-racist, but they're just into the fashion and the music, right? And so, but for my that money, is that is bizarre. Yeah, but for my money, it's like, well, I'm not taking any chances. So if you're wearing the outfit, you're getting knocked out. That's just the. <laughs> <laughs> That's, yeah, it's just like somebody saying, you know, I quacks like look, a duck. I hate Hitler. I just like wearing a schwa sticker. I, I mean, just like that's just mustache. I'm not lactose intolerant. I can't drink milk. Right. <laughs> little Hitler mustache. But anyway, yeah, so we had a <laughs> had a lot of skinhead run-ins and. Um, yeah, Coeur d'Alene, I don't know. I don't it's hard pre-internet especially like to know what was actually real, but I remember hearing that 
the owner, there was a huge neo-Nazi skinhead group in Coeur d'Alene, and, and there are very well-documented neo-Nazi groups in, in Seattle and Portland as well. But, like, um, hearing that in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, that there was, this, there was, like, a training ground for skinheads, and that the owner of Carl's Jr. had sent all this money there to help with the recruiting and training efforts, and I just remember hearing that as a kid and being freaked out. I don't know if any of that's true, but hmm. watch our wow. backs for sure. Wow. Yeah. We're like the punks in uh, Friday the 13th Part 3, is it? They show up at the... <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And watch yeah. your back, you get, a, you get a pitchfork through the chest. All right. At least those punks were not racist. We yeah. Can... <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Green Room's a great pick, Wolfman. Thank you. I When last year, I recently have shown that to two different people as a new horror movie for them. Good pick. So, Dr. Bishop, yeah. what horror movie released during HMP's 10 years has haunted you the most? And tell us why. Hey, this was this was a challenging question because, honestly, so many of my uh, favorite horror films predate HMP. Mm-hmm. And so trying to figure out, okay, what happened in the last 10 years? What was it that really freaked me out? And I was thinking it was a dark and lonely night in 2015. And I had been, uh, I had been ousted from my home and I was living in a, in a new small bachelor pad. It was late at night. I was the only one in the house. I had my iPad charged and ready to go. And I said, you know what? I'm going to stay up late in bed and I'm going to watch a horror movie with headphones on, lights off, by myself. What could go wrong? <laughs> and I pulled up this little gem by Robert Eggers called The Vavitch as Greg Amortis likes to call it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, The Witch, a New England folktale. It seemed uh, a pretty innocuous at the time, and I had not really been familiar with Egger's work. But I like Anya Taylor-Joy, like every sane person on the planet. And I thought, I'm going to give this a try. And it spooked me so bad. Uh, you know, late, dark, alone. Because first off, I was just scared at the thought of living in this time period. <laughs> right, living on the frontier in uh, in kind of New England puritanical times is pretty terrifying. Uh, the family, the family values, the belief system, living in those conditions in that squalor, the hard work that was all pretty scary. But then we get to the the kind of famous peekaboo scene. Yes, between uh, Taylor Joy's Thomasine and the baby, and the baby suddenly being gone. Oh. And of course, as a father, that chilled me. Okay, yes. That just chilled me right out of the gate. And then that thought, because I have uh, misplaced a child. Oh, um, have you? <laughs> so, yes, I lost a child in the Frankfurt airport for a brief period. Oh, and I remember right. that panic and that fear of, oh, my gosh, where is this family member? Where is this young charge? Where is this person? So I was on edge. Mm-hmm. And then when we get the... Well, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say one of the most disturbing depictions of witches on the screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and man, I've said somewhat infamously, right, that when uh, when animals and, and children are in peril, you're in you're in true horror territory. Yes. But I've got to say, when we're talking baby, that's yeah. a whole new level yeah. of horrifying. And, and what happens to that baby and what happens to that family they're out and they're after and uh, and then let's just not neglect the goat 
<laughs> I love goats. I think goats are hilarious. But oh. goats can be terrifying. Oh, that's funny. And this is the uh this is the first scariest goat in film history. The the second one is uh in uh, uh, When Evil Lurks. Oh, okay. It's a new film. New film. Yes. Also scary goat. Right. So, um, so yeah, thinking back over the last 10 years, I've seen a lot of great horror films and a lot of cool horror films. I mean, one of my favorites is uh, Barbarian, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is a brilliant, brilliant movie that I like to think about. But uh, The Witch scares me. And yes. going back to revisit that is scary. I've only watched it twice. And it was just as scary the second time. And I will say that that last five minutes that stuff will haunt you for a long, long time. Yes, yes. Well, excellent pick, sir, and I, I couldn't agree more. Okay, now we're up to Nathan. Which horror movie has haunted you the most? Okay, and I like, Jay, that you wrote haunting there in that question because it did make me think a little bit harder, but in a certain sense, I just kind of laid it all on the table and said, okay, like Matt said earlier, I don't think I get freaked out or even scared or even that disturbed by many horror movies. I think as someone who saw horror movies when they're very young, what tends to happen is people tell you it's not real and they point out all the ways it's not real. So instead of growing up deranged, you grow up and become a film critic because that's all you look at, <laughs> the aesthetic <laughs> right. of things. So it was easy to look across and say, what movie, you know, A, really freaked me out in the movie theater, and then B, what movie did I continue to think about? And it might seem like an odd choice, but in 2014, I had an opportunity to go to, as a critic at the time, and I went to a scary movie, I think it was called Spooky Movie Festival, actually, not Spooky Flicks Fest, but it was in (laughs) uh, Silver Spring, Maryland, and they did it for several years. And one of the years there, they were showing, uh, I went down to see A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, but the second movie was The Babadook, Jennifer Kent's The Babadook from 2014. Uh, And that's... That's the movie. I can't remember a film. In the last 30 minutes, I was probably, you could say, visibly like affected by it. I was kind of moving around in my seat. I was feeling very anxious. I Most of the time, you can clearly see where a film is going to go. But in that particular instance, I, I really didn't, and I was involved in it. There are a couple of factors that would contribute to that, one of them being at the time, in 2014, I had a two-and-a-half-year-old and a a six-month-old. And so Mm. anyone who's seen the film knows that kids are central to that. But this movie does something different, and and it's divided a lot of people, I think, by this one element, is that Noah Wiseman, who plays the little boy in the film, is very surface-level unlikable, beyond unlikable to the point of almost irritating, actively (laughs) irritating. And yet you you see Essie Davis, who's fantastic in the film, as his mother. They've been through trauma. She's trying to care for him. And it's very rarely in a film where you get – you know, kids are always off limits, but here we see this kid as someone who is potentially hard to love. This mother is trying her best, and she is also coming up against the wall. And the, I feel for the kid, too. He's an outsider. He doesn't, he's very young to be processing all of his emotions. There's all this stuff going on. And then anyone who's seen the film, there's that possession element. The thing I'm most afraid of in life is probably losing my mind in such a way that harms or does detriment to the people I care about. And so, The last third of that movie goes really hard, I think, in terms of watching a parental figure turn on the kid. And most of the time when we see this in a film, even the film like The Shining, we see it kind of from the kid's point of view. And here, most of the film is from the mother's point of view, who eventually reaches a place where she's saying and doing horrible things. And we've even seen a flash frame of this kid dead. And so no idea what's going to happen at the end. At this point in time, literally during the weeks when I saw this film, 
my son who was two started like and this is i now know it's a common thing that happens to kids he started stammering when he tried to say words Mm -hmm. but it would go on for minutes at a time until his head got so red you could see the frustration on his face the first time it happens it's kind of funny not the frustration but watching kid you know stutter try to say something like you know like stammer like saying octopus and i go oct 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 well when it continues until their face gets red, you start to feel concerned and, and mm. you're you're sad for them. When it continues for like a week and a half, not that same word, but continually, and you begin to wonder, is this going to be a constant thing? Is this going to be down the road something that creates a block of communication? And eventually you get to the point when you hear that in the background and all you can think is, I want that sound to stop. And the fear, this idea that somewhere within yourself, you have the ability to turn on your child or turn on your loved ones. I can't think of a film that did it better to the visceral lengths that the Babadook goes to. And then the haunting aspect is that there's a scene towards the end where there's hands wrapped around a neck and then you see hands come up and touch the face like in an effort to to, to get, get comfort, to get their mother and yet their mother, it, it's just crazy. So uh, the last scene of that film too that shows that hey, maybe if anyone who's ever dealt with any kind of mental health issues and as someone who in a in a kind of low-key way has it's it's amazing to see that final scene that says something very different from most horror films in terms of that so that's uh that's my pick the babadook oh excellent you gave me chills during that description nathan you really did good pick yes yeah. mm-hmm. thank you and i remember on the hmp episode where we covered that in the end in the spoilers i remember wolfman and Everybody else, Doc, who everybody else who was on that episode kind of opened my mind to it, and I had this little breakdown on the show, sort of. <laughs> so, anyway, great pick. All right, Trey Whetstone, sir. Uh, what horror movie would you say has haunted you the most? Yeah. Jay, this was a bit of a tough one because it's kind of, I know we've watched so many horror movies, it's kind of hard to get scared anymore, get uh, really feel dread. But it does happen every once in a while. And one in particular I could think of, and that still kind of scares me now, I haven't rewatched this since it came out, but uh, still kind of shakes me up a little bit when I think about certain parts of it. I think it's because of the, you know, just the nature of how the movie was shot and how it's put together. Mm-hmm. And that is The Black Coat's Daughter. By Oz Perkins, directed by Oz Perkins. There's something about that one that just feels a little not right. And, you know, I remember there being this kind of shadow figure. And it's almost a lot of the times you can show me all these monsters. And sometimes it's cool. Sometimes it's not. But you show me a little shadow thing moving in the corner. And uh, sometimes that's more effective than having a full on monster. Mm hmm. But I really liked that film when it came out. Like I said, I need to revisit it. But uh, Kiernan Shipka and um, Emma. Like her name, Emma Roberts. Mm-hmm. Emma Roberts. Yeah, I think they're both great in it. I think Kiernan Shipka especially plays this kind of I, I don't, the way her character just acts and behaves is kind of haunting. So mm-hmm. that one's one that's always stuck in my mind as something that just doesn't feel quite right or quite natural. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I know there for a while. After I'd watched it initially, I was still thinking about it and still kind of scaring myself. So I think that's as good as pick as any, Jay. <laughs> yes, that's an excellent pick. And there is definitely a darkness to that film. So I could I could see how that would certainly be a haunting pick. Yeah, thank you. Okay, the amazing but subtle one, Dr. Shock, which horror movie has haunted you the most? All right. I'm going to go with a movie from 2015 
called The Devil's Candy. Awesome. This movie stayed with me the most. It did. The first time I saw it, it affected me. But it was the follow-up watches that affected me even stronger. You know, it's one of those things where you think you know you figure out a movie and, you know, you watch it and it's just going to be okay. It's not going to it's not going to affect you as much. That was not the case with The Devil's Candy. The Devil's Candy affected me more on rewatches than it did the first time I watched it. And the reason for that was I cared for the family at the center of it, played by Ethan Embry. And, you know, th- there was something about that family where I cared about them more than I realized. It's the poltergeist effect from 1982. You know, poltergeist for me, the great thing about that movie was what Steven Spielberg did with that family, where you cared about that family. For me, The Devil's Candy, that was that movie, where I cared about that family more the second time around than I did the first time around. And it just stayed with me. It really stayed with me because, you know, it's funny because I knew what that family was going to go through, but it didn't matter because I didn't want to see them go through that. I love that family more the second time than I did the first time. Mm -hmm. Nice. Ethan Embry is great in it, but all, and the whole family is good, but man, for only having what, maybe he's got five, six, ten minutes of screen time. He, he doesn't have much. He really doesn't have much in Pruitt that movie, Taylor he is, is great in that Oh, film. man. Pruitt Taylor Vince. I mean, he's just, he's incredible. Pruitt Taylor Vince is the one who made that movie what it was for yeah, me I, because uh, he made you, he made uh, you sort of dislike that character, but understand where he was coming from. Yeah, he did. He did that in Identity too, which I know, Wolfman, you're not the biggest fan of that movie, but just his performance, <laughs> he does have that ability to do a mix of he can do sympathetic and he can do creepy, you know, very quickly. He's an incredible actor. We did um, at the time we did a heavy metal horror episode. I remember, and um, we interviewed Sean Byrne, the director, and Ethan Embry, the actor, on that episode. So that was a fun one. If people are fans of that movie and didn't. For that episode, mm-hmm. nice. It's a good one. Yeah, and that was that was one of the movies that made me realize I gotta stop judging movies by their title because I wasn't gonna watch it because it was called The Devil's Candy and it's so good. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, Jay. You would have you would have missed out big time. I'm glad I then, watched it. Then Skinnerink came around and reinstated that. <laughs> yeah, then I'm like, oh no, this is right. This is right. <laughs> <laughs> he still likes gutter balls, though. That's so. true. That's true. <laughs> gutter balls. I can't help myself. <laughs> okay, now we're ready to hear Jackson's recording where he answered our first question. Here's Jackson. So I've got a few excellent prompts in front of me from none other than Jay of the Dead, and I say we just get right into these. First of all, the most haunting horror movie of the last decade. I mulled this one over, and I think I've come to a conclusion here, and that is Possum from 2018. Possum is a film that wears its influences on its sleeve, I would say. Namely, David Cronenberg's Spider, though in my opinion, Possum is actually more haunting than I guess what you could call its spiritual predecessor. If you're not familiar, Possum is about a puppeteer returning to the town where he grew up, or he's confronted, in a way, by Trauma Incarnate. It's a bleak watch, I will warn you, but it's very effective. Uh, So if you're looking for something that will absolutely ruin your day, Possum is the film for you. Okay, 
Okay, Vicious Victor, which horror movie has haunted you the most? Well, I would say one of the scariest things in life is when you remake yourself. And let me just explain, like going through a change, it could be something like puberty or marriage or moving to a new neighborhood or something like that. Like any sort of reinvention of yourself is very stressful and um, anxiety inducing. So I figured the reason I am haunted by this movie so much is because it's a great horrorization of that idea. And that movie is also from 2015. It's called The Invitation. Oh, and, nice. uh, oh yeah. Yes. Such yeah, a good it's, film. Yes. It's uh, a low-budget but brilliant film directed by Karen Kusama, who did, uh, you know, she's one of the creators of Yellow Jackets that show Ooh, on Showtime. Right. Um, mm-hmm. She did Destroyer and I think Girl Fight may have been the Girl earliest yeah. Yeah, movie I Yellow, saw by her. Yellow Jackets. I love Yellow Jackets. It's good, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so the the basic premise of the invitation is this dude, Will, who's played by Logan Marshall Green, has, over a tragedy, separated with his woman, Eden, who's played by Tammy Blanchard. And he's, you know, Will is bringing his new girlfriend to their old house, which is now owned or controlled by Eden, who is throwing a huge celebration, like a dinner, and she wants everybody to, to hang out. And Will goes to the, he's uneasy about attending this event. You're not really sure why, but during the course of things, stuff starts getting a little weird. And what I really, really admire about this movie is you're not really sure until very late in the film, whether this is an unreliable narrator situation, like if Will is sort of losing his grip on reality, or if everybody else at the party is strange, is really strange. Either way, it's a great film. But anyway, it gets really, really intense. And for me, the emotional climax of the movie is when Will says to his girlfriend, they're just people. It is absolutely (laughs) chilling the way way that's used in the film. But in any case, I really got to take my hat off to Miss Kusama. It's brilliant, brilliant movie. Uh, It's a slow burn with a really intense climax and a shocking twist ending highly recommend it mm. and uh that's my pick nice. bravo excellent that's yeah one. one of one of the best final shots in a horror movie in the last 20 years Victor. with the lanterns lighting yes up. Yes. yes yes i'm with you yeah and we we mentioned uh Prue taylor vance in regards to the hard, um the devil's candy a moment ago i almost called it hard candy dave so there you go um also a good movie <laughs> But John Carroll Lynch, another three names and character actor who can do a lot with a very little, he's very unsettling in this movie, too. Playing a character named Pruitt, by the way. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yes, he is. In Invitation, yes, you're right. Yeah. You know, The Invitation, there's a kind of a flashback to a kid's birthday party in that that has reinforced all my neuroses that I have always had and made me, made me worse. <laughs> so about kid, about children's <laughs> horror, just, um, there's something that happens that we learn at a kid's birthday party. It's a background thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways. All right. So great pick Victor. Which horror movie has haunted me the most? So for my picks, I determine date of release when the film first becomes widely available. 
in the U.S. I just, that's how I do it. And I've loved, over the decade that we're talking about here, there have been a number of horror films that have haunted me, but it's been a little more subjective due to my personal life experience. So I chose one that haunted me, but also certainly has the power to universally haunt everyone else, and that is Contracted. This was uh, written and directed by Eric England, and it was first Mm -hmm. widely available in the U.S. on November 22nd, 2013. And yes, you funny guys, this movie does begin with a little bit of necrophilia. <laughs> okay, so, but... Wow, I'm but, shocked. But, wow. Such a what film. a shock, the Jay of the Dead. Just saying. A little bit. Yeah, but... You're but, just playing it off like it's completely incidental. Yeah, it just, it just so happens, Nathan, right? Like, so, but uh, Contracted is about a woman who's raped at a party, and she quickly becomes unwell. And though at first she believes she's contracted some STD... She begins to realize as her body falls apart that her mysterious ailment is something far worse. So recently in uh, episode 221 of Horror Movie Podcast, I referenced this film when I reviewed Thanatomorphos, but that film is a poor man's contracted. This film here haunts me because the protagonist's body is just rotting and falling apart over the course of the film, and she has no idea what's wrong with her or how to fix it or how to stop it. And the horror genre is infamous for putting us face to face with the reality of our own mortality, our own eventual death. And the depiction of death in horror films also tends to remind us about how vulnerable we are. And so anyone who has ever had something wrong with them, like physically, like a sickness or something, and you can't figure out what it is, then that's terrifying. And I Personally, I've had that happen to me more than I would have liked. And most recently, in fact, at the end of last year was pretty scary. But I realized that there are some healthy people out there who don't tend to be sick. But the thing is, all of us will eventually start aging. And as our bodies start to break down, we start to get a real understanding of our mortality and how frail we actually are. So even if the the whippersnappers who happen to be listening to this are yet to understand why Contracted would be a haunting film. Believe me, your time will come. So uh, get off my lawn. But anyway, this is this is the most haunting horror film for me for the first decade of HMP. Contracted 2013. Hi, this is Sean Byrne, writer-director of The Devil's Candy, and this is Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. Round two, question two. Okay, here it is. Again, we're pulling from the period of HMP's first 10 years. Now, these picks, just so the listeners know, we're going to be talking about probably better-known films, more prominently familiar films, but that's because of the nature of the question. Which horror film do you feel has been the most important or most influential or most revolutionary for the horror genre as a whole. And so let's start off with Night Stalker Nathan. Oh, I get to go first so I can. Mm -hmm. There are two that came to mind that just on the face of it, I'm like, okay, I think that these, whether you view that as good or bad, had major influence. I'm going to go with the one that I was a little more surprised at having such an influence. And that's Robert Eggers, The Witch from... 2015. It is well known. There are some people who have seen it, maybe don't care for it, and maybe even question how much horror is there. And then you might ask, well, how influential was it? 
there were other movies obviously doing similar things at the time. But I think one of the things that happens with The Witch is it gets a wide release. Uh, movies like this were getting wide releases, but not quite, I think, this rarefied. It was surprising to me to be sitting in a theater in 20, uh, I think 2015, right, that this came out. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, sitting in a theater watching this movie and it being this content and having a full theater, you know, not only did it play in theaters, it garnered an audience. And to me, it did a couple of things. One of the things it did in a just very surface level way was it sort of reintroduced people to the idea that full core is a thing. People have been making full core. There are lots of smaller movies, but I think that it urged people to kind of dig up movies that they maybe hadn't seen in a very long time. So that's surface level. I think what's impressive about The Witch, and other people might say, you know, it started the elevated horror, which I don't dig that title. Uh, But I think what it did is it created a film where the horror is serious and it's there in the film. And yet the film itself doesn't give its way to a lot of tropes. I mean, it's a lot about viewpoint. And so I think we started to get more serious adult-oriented horror movies where they were okay to take a very specific viewpoint and keep people in that viewpoint. The amazing thing about The Witch, it says right up front, you know, it's like a, basically like a Puritan folktale. Well, like you could watch this movie and say, hey, if I was living in this time frame, this is exactly what I thought was going to happen to me, (laughs) whether or not it really could. It's scary when you realize that there are people walking around 2023 that think the exact same thing. And so watching the film, I think it's an amazing movie. And whether you like it or not, I think you can see the effect that it had on indie horror, that it made indie made people realize that they can make indie horror in a lot of different flavors. Some of those flavors may be a little horror light for everybody. But I think it showed that you could take any subject matter, you can take it seriously, and then you can produce a film that doesn't necessarily look like you're, you know, it didn't run through all the tropes that we know, or it used them in different ways. And so I think that The Witch had a huge impact. There's another movie coming out, I think, a year or two later that may be even more influential, but I'm going to leave that for someone else to mention. I'm sure they will. But for me, it's The Witch. (laughs) Powerful. Freaky, too, man. It's it's interesting. I'm anticipating and starting to see, I bet you, that some of these things could overlap, like uh, The Witch could be a potentially haunting movie for people as well (laughs) so good pick yeah good pick all right dr shock which horror film would you say has been most influential during that 10-year period all right for me you know what it's funny because there was a movie that was released three months before the cutoff you gave us jay that i think everyone on this panel would have said was the most influential And I'm just going to throw the title out there. It is The Conjuring. But it does not fit into the October 2013 to October 2023 time period. So what did I go with? I went with Train to Busan. Mm. Good one. Nice. Because if you think about it, Train to Busan inspired other Asian zombie films that went forward. Mm -hmm. All right, you had, of course, uh, Rampart, which was another South Korean film. You had Hashtag Alive from uh, Netflix. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I'd be remiss to not say, F you Netflix, F you up the A with a uh, 12-inch D, and break it off and meet you over the head with the rest of it, because <laughs> I can never own that movie on physical media. Whoa. <laughs> it's like a pull string um, on day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. But Pastor Matt, they were little. They were little. <laughs> hey, yeah. he, he, he did well. He did well. Yes. I did not want to go to full explicit. You got to um, write it down and, and code it like for, uh, Ralphie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And then you have the sadness from a couple years ago. Mm. So these zombie films that I think were at least maybe not inspired by Train to Busan, but at least Train to Busan laid the groundwork for them. It was a huge hit. And I think it it's was. interesting because zombies were like dead at the time Train to Busan came out. Mm-hmm. You know, they had yes. just been overplayed and all of a sudden they were back and fun again. They were. Didn't, didn't take very long either. Yeah, just like a year or two. No, exactly. But what Train to Busan did for me personally was it made me go backwards into South Korean horror. Yes. To look at films like I Saw the Devil, Bedeviled, Mm -hmm. all these other movies that I might not have ever seen if it were not for Train to Busan. And I think its influence was it allowed the streaming, the whole streaming community to realize, particularly here in the U.S., oh, yeah, South Korea is still making great horror films. And then, you know, a few come a few years later, it falls it off. Well, it opened the floodgates with streaming yeah. services, Nathan, to the entire Pacific Rim. I mean, it just, you know, yeah. we got we got so many great horror films from Asia since then. Yep, yeah. I agree. And and I think it may have, might have been four or five years ago that LOTC, we did our, our South Korean horror. And I just watched all of these films. And I remember thinking that it was Train to Busan that awoken me, that showed me that there were all these great Korean horror films out there for the taking. Yeah, that's a solid pick, Dave. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yes. And by the way, that um, episode, Land of the Creeps, episode 215, South Korean Horror. People want to check that 215? out. 215? Was it, how long, what year, when did that come out, Jay? <laughs> let me, let me see here. Um, yeah, because March 10th, 2020. March 10th, 2020. Yep. Well, now that oh, that's, now that's that, right before the bottom fell out. Yeah. Yeah, Dave, you know, right, right. Dave, now that uh, Greg's, releasing episodes almost weekly it's probably hard to keep track of the numbers (laughs) yes yeah i I thought i thought it was at least three years before that (laughs) awesome (laughs) train to busan excellent pick sir thank you okay vicious victor which horror film do you feel has been most influential to the horror genre most influential i'd have to say it's got to be Get Out. There uh, it is. There it is. <laughs> you took mine, <Yeah>. Victor. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it's directed by Jordan Peele, who would later go on to do Us, or perhaps you could interpret it as U.S. Um, <laughs> nope. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, before that, Key and Peele. So, here, so I saw the, the first trailers for Get Out in the theater, and I knew who Jordan Peele was because of Key and Peele. So I'm like, oh, Key, you know, it's 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 going to be a, f- a funny movie. And I'm looking at the trailer and I'm like, that's not, that's not very funny. You know, uh, <laughs> little did I know that Jordan Peele is an incredible horror fan. And he draws from Halloween, The Shining, this uh, Rock Hudson movie called Seconds, um, Night of the oh, Living that, Dead. That such a great film. Seconds is amazing. Yeah, those they're it, all. Has, it, has everyone seen Seconds? Yeah, well, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't yeah. think so. Mm-mm. Highly recommended. Oh, it's so good. It's so good with Rock Hudson. What an amazing film that is. That's Frankenheimer, isn't it? Is it John? Frankenheimer? Yes, John yes. Frankenheimer. Yes, it is John Frankenheimer. It is an amazing, amazing film. Nice. But that is not the movie I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> 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 I, I loved it, but um, but yeah. Let me just, uh, since I only have a couple of minutes here, I'll just say without Get Out, we 
probably wouldn't have satanic Hispanics. We wouldn't have marginalized voices coming forward in the horror community to show their horrorized experience. So it's been an incredible seismic shift in the community. And um, it's got a great score by Michael Abels with jazz, blues, and African elements to it. I mean, there's so much revolutionary stuff about this movie. And on top of that, it's incredibly entertaining. So it's just a great film. And uh, yeah, I can't recommend this enough, but uh, I guess that's it. Yeah. Well, Victor, you took mine, so I'll go ahead and pile on. Mm -hmm. That's okay with Jay. Go for it. People who listen to Father and Son are sick and tired of me talking about Jordan Peele. We did an entire tribute episode because I think I've seen Get Out probably 10 times. It's on my top 10 list of my favorite horror movies of all time. And it's number six. And I loved Us. I really liked Nope. I've stated it on on many podcasts. I think Jordan Peele's a genius. I remember being addicted also to Key and Peele. And I remember thinking one or both of these gents are horror fans. Because whether it's, you know, their skits on Gremlins 2 <laughs> or or racist zombies or, you know, racist zombies, maybe one of the funniest things they ever did. You know, yeah. when the zombies are when the white zombies are rolling up their windows to not to get near the two, the two black non-zombies, I laughed my butt off. And then the, the shining continental breakfast, you know, from Key yeah. and Peele, it's all there. But then what I love so much that Jordan Peele did, he definitely deserved the Oscar for Best Screenplay, which he won for Get Out. And you're talking about a movie that was made for $3.5 million and made over $100 million. And this care, and Dave, you've talked about this a lot with Jordan Peele, the care that he puts into the screenplay. There are so many Easter eggs. There's so many callbacks. You know, if you watch Get Out, you know, if you've only seen it once, people listen to this, go watch it again. Notice, think about why, like when they're stopped by or the police officer pulls over and he wants to see his ID and she says, why are you? It looks like she's standing up for him. Why do you want to see his ID when, in fact, we learn later on there's a reason she doesn't want a paper trail? Mm -hmm. You know, all these little things that he does. And when it's funny, it's funny. When it's suspenseful, it's suspenseful. But it's always well done. It's incredibly well shot, well acted well edited. It's got something to say, but because I've said this many times, if you want to understand Jordan Peele, you've got to understand his absolute adoration for Rod Serling. Jordan Peele loved Rod Serling. He loves the classic Twilight Zone. Us is directly influenced by a Twilight Zone episode about a Doppelinger at a bus station. And he loved how Rod Serling took something creepy, put a message in it, and, you know, he said, look, I, yes, there are messages in my films, but at the end of the day, I want to make a scary movie. I want to make a good, scary movie. And he's and he, done that. He's he done that, done that well. three times out of three, as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And his next movie comes out next Christmas. And oh, he's a big, nice. he's a big Gremlins fan. So that should be interesting. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Yeah, nice. it's very cool. Excellent. Great pick. Both of you. Yeah, that's um, <laughs> Get Out. Absolutely. Did we have, was there another host who had Get Out as well? Did you want to talk about it now? Yeah, I'll, I might as well. Wolfman, okay, <laughs> go ahead. I wish there was another movie uh, that was <laughs> a more exciting pick after after this conversation. But um, yeah, it's just, it's without a doubt the most influential film, in my opinion. For all the reasons that Victor and Matt said, um, I would add to what they said two things. 
First, I think it allowed Blumhouse to see that there was profitable films they could make that weren't just found footage horror. You know, I think for a while mm-hmm. there, Blumhouse had kind of gotten to a rut. Uh, thanks to the aforementioned Paranormal Activity, they had a very clear way to get a profit over at Blumhouse. And they weren't taking very many chances at that point. And I think that was the beginning of a new era for Blumhouse, which I don't know what they've, I don't know what they've done with it, but... But at least it changed. At least it was different. But most certainly, if we're talking about influential films, I think, you know, since I remember when we first reviewed that film on HMP, Jay and I were (laughs) discussing what does the term woke mean? I remember we were talking about that. Is this woke? We were like, I don't know. I think so. Get woke or something like that. Stay woke. (laughs) We were like, it's okay. A lot of people don't know what that word still means and they use it a lot. Yeah. But I think, yeah, it's a controversial word, and it's more pejorative now than I think it was in, ever intended to be. But I think what's interesting about this film, and I talked about this, the only other time I've talked about movies in the last two years was on the No Bodies podcast recently. We talked about this a little bit. I think it's interesting. It a lot. It basically is a blueprint for if you're in a marginalized group and you want to tell your story, this is how you do it correctly without shaming other people, without being, you know... Uh, Going on, I can't. I can't think of the word I'm. I'm going for. Didn't prepare and I'm just speaking out that bad. But well, uh, to use is it? You know, Gilman Joel says, "Look, I don't care what your politics is. Just don't get too preachy." And I think that the way you avoid doing that is just to make a suspenseful, enjoyable film with a message where you don't have you know a 20 minute exposition about X, Y, and Z. Sure. You just do it, and I think Jordan Peele does that better than anyone. I mean. I know people had mixed feelings about us. I thought it was brilliant. How many people can take a message about the homeless, virtue signaling? Um, oh, and, and hands across and, America. And hands across <laughs> America. That was his virtue signaling thing. Yeah, <laughs> hands across America and and homelessness. And if you, and you can see the VHS copy in the movie, and he loves the movie, Chud. Who can take <laughs> Chud, the Twilight Zone, virtue signaling, and homelessness and make a great movie? Only Jordan Peele can. Only yep. he can, yes. Yeah, and I think just the con- the idea, I don't mind political movies. I don't mind overtly political movies. And I think that's one of the things that horror and sci-fi do best is tackling complex issues of our day and, and giving us kind of this uh, palpable way to digest them. But I think what it does best is puts the viewer, no matter what your ethnicity, into the shoes of and behind the eyes of a young black man in America and allows you to feel what that feels like for a little while. So I think regardless of whether or not you go into that movie feeling like this is a character you can relate with, it forces you to relate to that character, but not in a way that's hitting you over the head. It just it simply is good storytelling and good filmmaking that allows you to see it the world through this character's eyes. And I think that's where it's most successful, in my opinion. And I think that's where, if it is not yet successful in our current woke climate, I think that people can learn a lot from looking at how Get Out handles these issues and these characters if they want to do something that is actually meaningful um, in the way that Get Out is. Well, and the performances, I mean, especially Daniel Kiyue, I mean, is just incredible in it. Absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. And as is Lori Howard scenes, which apparently some of them were improvised, I mean, uh, yeah. literally fall on the floor laughing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hilarious. Wolfman, what I remember most about our review of Get Out was hilarious. You were quoting 
what you called it was some of the effect you said something like this was the whitest movie review title ever written and the <laughs> and the reviewer wrote jordan peele makes racism scary <laughs> oh well didn't it have it had a hundred percent it didn't get out have a hundred percent on rotten tomatoes until who was it was it dave your favorite reviewer almond white is that his name that came yeah, Almond white yes mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah armand white he wrote that review three months before that movie came out and we all know it <laughs> yes. yes. All right. So get out. Excellent. Thank you guys. Great picks. Okay. Now it's time to hear from Jackson the Ripper again as he answers our second question. Next, the most important or revolutionary film of the last decade. Now, there were a lot I could go with on this one, but I think I've settled on It Follows from 2014. It Follows, in my opinion, is at least partially responsible for the resurgence of 80s horror stylings in the mid to late 2010s, and really the surge of low-budget indie high-concept horror films that broke mainstream in the last seven or eight years. It's a super slick film, and I'm now very much looking forward to the recently announced sequel, They Follow. But I would also say, as honorable mentions, The Witch from 2015 and Get Out from 2017. Obviously, we've seen this explosion of new horror auteurs, namely Eggers, Peel, and Aster, though he didn't debut with Hereditary until the really late into the decade, actually, in 2018. But A24, even in 2023, with films like Talk To Me, I think they can be credited to some degree with keeping horror mainstream. And now for my uh, most important, most influential of this i guess 10 year period i actually i was very torn i honestly was wrestling with get out but i chose something else here it is i can't prove this to you i think it will be easy for us to argue i think for several different important horror films that came out but i think it's nearly impossible to prove especially with this but i have a theory this is like an instinct it's kind of a gut feeling and so i hope you'll hear me out in the 2000s especially like I'm talking post 9-11, of course. The horror genre had become pretty severe, relied more upon shocks, the shock value, shocking imagery, rather than suspense, in my opinion. In fact, true story about this, I remember during the 2000s thinking that, wow, the horror genre doesn't really use suspense that much anymore because I would I would go back and watch some, you know, 70s stuff or Hitchcock, of course, and I would feel suspense, but I wasn't feeling suspense that much with the newer stuff. So we had the advent of torture porn with Hostel and Saw and others, and scares were produced through extremes. And so, in my opinion, I think it became more surface rather than conceptual. And I think that there was one film, though, that played a role in bringing horror back to its roots. And for me, that film is It Follows. It was written and directed by David Robert Mitchell. It Follows was released wide in the U.S. on March 27, 2015. And it's about a young woman who's being relentlessly pursued by a mysterious malevolent being. Now, to me, It Follows is a return back to the basics of horror because I think it taps into the simplicity of primal types of fears. And I think that It Follows kind of jump-started horror filmmakers thinking again, what is scary to us? 
Now, I can't prove that, obviously, it's all speculation, but in It Follows, the monster is always coming to get you. It's coming to get you, coming to get you, never stopping. And then we had Lights Out in 2015. Well, it came out in 2016 by this reckoning. But anyways, Lights Out brought us Fear of the Dark. And of course, it started as a short film, but the dark is scary. It's scary when the lights go out. And then we had A Quiet Place April 2018, and it's like, be quiet or the monster will hear you, you know, and then Bird Box, close your eyes, it's kind of like the Medusa concept, close your eyes so you don't look at the monster, and then the silence, which was similar to Quiet Place, again, be quiet, the monster will hear you. Anyway, those are just a few examples, and again, I can't link them with any sure proof, but I think that by revisiting the basics of horror, I think it freshened up our scary horror cinema a little bit and I think that's why we ended up with these creepier films because in the later 2000 2010s I mean the films started getting under my skin like Satan's Slaves, Terrified, The Dark and the Wicked, um, mm. Flanagan's Haunting of Hill House and so I just have this theory that they were taking things and looking at okay what is truly scary to us so for me I think it injected horror with a little more suspense again That sense of um, conceptual dread rather than just jump scares and shocks. Not that I'm down on jump scares. And the monster in It Follows is simple and terrifying. And in fact, I'll quote our main man here, Dr. Shock, in his DVD infatuation blog review of It Follows. I think he describes it perfectly because Dave wrote, well, he called it an unforgettable horror film. And he said, no matter how far you run, this creature is out there and it is coming. It follows is, from start to finish, a nerve-wracking experience. It's out there trying to get you. It moves slowly, methodically, but it knows exactly where you are. And it's coming, always coming. If you drive a hundred miles away, you can buy yourself a little time, but it will eventually find you. So that's my pick for the most influential. And with the plot of that film, it's always coming is accurate. Yeah, yeah, that's funny too. <laughs> nice. Oh man, nice. that's how I get around well, your rules, Matt. Yeah, play on words. Well, hey, look, I, I'm just so glad that he didn't pick the corpse of Anna Fritz. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, we haven't got to our horror gem yet. I thought no one was coming out there. So, so anyways, um, the last thing I was just going to say is uh, this does have a sequel coming out. They follow. Exciting. You know, it's, it's exactly a decade later, 2024. So we'll look forward to that. But anyway, that's my pick. All right. And now we're back to Trey again. Again, out of the 10-year the span. And I'm, I'm very interested as, as a film historian, which you are horror film historian extraordinaire i'm really excited to get your answer on this which horror film would you say has been the most important most influential or revolutionary to the overall horror genre yeah this was pretty um easy for me jay and i think it's because this one i had just talked about on my solo show screaming through the ages Mm -hmm. when i was doing a folk horror segment and this might be an obvious answer to some it might i don't know uh, if anyone else has picked this one or not, but I would go with The Witch. Mm-hmm. And I'll lay down for you why I think The Witch. Mm-hmm. And I think there's several different factors here. One is the folk horror aspect. And we've kind of had this big resurgence in folk horror 
Um, recently, we've you know, had things like Midsommar and you've had uh, Apostle and all these different great um, folk horror films that have popped up. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we really get that kind of thing without the witch popping up here. And it seems like this was almost like a domino because we did have some of these. I don't want to use the the term for this, but you know what I'm talking about, the <laughs> the higher brow horror film. Uh-huh. Um, and we've had some of those before. Of course, the Babadook, I think, released before this or just before this. But I don't think any of them had the impact that the witch did. And Jay, you I think you probably remember what it was like to podcast about horror movies in 2013, 2014. Mm -hmm. Um, There were some good ones and we were starting to get uh, more and more. But I feel like it was nothing compared to the boom that we would see later, a few years later. And I think the witch is a big part of that. I mean, this was an A24 film. Their first real hit is a horror film. I mean, this thing made on a four million dollar budget, made 40 million at the box office. And I think it was their biggest hit up until that time. So it not only had and this thing's wormed its way into the horror community. You hear all kinds of podcasts still mentioning this one, but it also had kind of that. I mean, 40 million isn't a small number. I don't think you're going to get that just off of hardcore horror fans alone necessarily. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a big one. I think it pushed this kind of dark and dire horror film into the the more I would wouldn't say it's quite mainstream. It's not it or anything like that, or even what get out would do maybe a little later. Yeah. But I think it was important in that, you know, it was a dark, bleak film. There wasn't much light or warmth in that film. And, you know, it was heavy hitter at the box office for that time. It started this whole for use of a better term, elevated horror. I don't think it started it, but it definitely pushed it further. You know, after this, we get films from guys like Ari Oster and all these other directors. And I really do think that The Witch kicked all of that off, Jay. So that's a long winded answer. But um, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, there's certainly a a severity to this film. I mean, what we have here essentially is a dismantling and destruction of a family unit, which is incredible to me. And and Trey, I'll never forget my... um, my buddy Ryan over on Movie Podcast Weekly, he claims not to be a horror fan, but he still dabbles <laughs> in horror. And when he saw this, he was just floored by it. And I asked him about, yeah, is this a buy? And he's like, well, he's like, it's a film worth purchasing, but I couldn't have something this evil in my house. <laughs> <laughs> I think I remember that. That's, And it's true. This is a hard film to watch. I'd be lying if I said it was my favorite the year it came out, but it's up there. I really think it's a solid film, but it's just so dark. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for me to put something that dark that's, you know, my favorite horror film of the year or something. But yes, yeah, I think it sent waves throughout the, the horror community and what we would see to come in the future. Absolutely. All right, then, uh, Gilman Joel, here's the big guns, the heavy one. This is a heavy question. Which horror film has been the most important or influential to the overall horror genre? Okay. For me, and it, what, I'm, what I'm about to say is, for me, this isn't like my favorite movie of the decade by any stretch. This isn't, uh, I like it. I think this film is great. And when I saw it, I loved it. I have mixed feelings about what happened as a result of this movie. And I will say, unlike other guests in this particular episode, I'm at least keeping mine within the decade of 2013 to 2023. I'm not pointing fingers at Pastor Matt or anybody like that <laughs> who may have picked movies that were influential years before 
HMP were started? I'm, I'm, I'm not pointing he, fingers. See, he owns HMP now, so he may just have you excised from all of this. That's a good point. Okay. Uh, never mind. I didn't mean Pastor Matt. I meant Jay. Yeah, that's right. Damn it. Episode, yeah. uh, so, no, in, in all seriousness, my pick tech, I think technically your rule was October of 2013. October 25th. Sorry. God's sake. Dude, I'm as one who has OCD <laughs> to a degree. You need to seriously take some meds. <laughs> hey, it's the anniversary. It's it's okay. between. Right. Yeah. But you know, Pastor Matt can do what he wants if he wants to. Or pick. Fair enough. To be fair, when you actually, yeah, when you're running the guy running it now, you can do what you want. That's right. But I will say this: I feel like my pick, while technically released a, a literally like three months, I think almost to the day. Before HP officially started, it would have absolutely been in the theaters. And if the area that you were in had dollar theaters, it absolutely would have been in a dollar theater. So That's fair. That works, brother. It works. And when, you, when you hear my pick, the effect it had on all the subsequent movie, not all, let me rephrase that, on horror in general, I think in both its, what it kind of set in motion aesthetically, just a lot of different variables, I feel like this is the obvious pick. <laughs> so my pick is... <laughs> Released in July of 19th of 2013, The Conjuring. Oh, no. Oh, Dr. Shock's going to be pissed. He wanted to pick this, but he said he couldn't because of the dates, and so he didn't pick it. Ah! See, Doc, the difference is, unlike you, I'm not a good person, and I don't listen to what I, I – it's like I'm one of these people I, do, I absolutely would like fearful to like get like you – know, not if I don't follow rules and I like, upset somebody, I don't like it. However, it's one of those like, – when somebody absolutely tells you, no, you got to do this thing, I'm like, I'll do it. But like a little toddler where you just are kind of stepping outside. The, you're like the kid who reaches for the cookie. like, don't get the cookie. He just kind of keeps reaching. like, don't get the cookie. You kind of, that's kind of what I'm doing here. I'm kind of going just a couple months outside. Go for it. Go for it. It's anyway, fine. I'm it's sorry. Okay, fine. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be – I'm so petty. If you had said no, I was going to be like, The Conjuring 2, okay? Oh, that's my – Nice. No, no, no. Go for it, but brother. here's why. I've got to totally – look. Let's hear it. That sets in motion this concept because obviously the MCU, right, with Iron Man in, what, 2008, I think, mm -hmm. we get the whole – like now we're in the MCU and the whole – and they start setting in motion this cinematic universe idea because prior to that, you got franchises, you had sequels, you had even remakes. You didn't have this whole, like, it's all these inner movies have to be interconnected, blah, 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 crap, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. This is where my mixed feelings come in, because I'm to the point now where I friggin' hate that, because it requires, for you to truly get everything you can out of certain things, it feels like you got to watch, like, all this other stuff. Now, I will say, the whole Conjuring universe thing has not been as obnoxious as the MCU has been mm -hmm. on that front, but I still, I'm kind of over it. Right. I'm over the universe, but because of the conjuring, so we get the conjuring universe, mm -hmm. then we get the whole, which I guess both are universal, but then we get the whole dark universe, you know, wah, 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 <laughs> where, where, you know, universal is going to do the whole universal monsters thing. Mm -hmm. Um, how'd that work out? Tom Cruise and the mummy. Oh. But then, you know, it's aesthetic and look of those movies to me was so parroted throughout the last 10 years by so many, especially more studio release type stuff. Yeah. So I think another example of this is, I may or may not have had a mild uh, aneurysm and thought Blumhouse had something to do with the Conjuring movies. And the reason for that is I feel like so many of their movies remind me aesthetically of those movies. It's mm. sort of like, I, maybe James Wan is the problem. No offense, Mr. Wan, because I think you're, you know, you're, you're a perfectly fine director. But the Saw, you know, you saw 
And look at the influence that had, right, mm-hmm. from 2004 through that good chunk of that decade with this aesthetically. Then he does The Conjuring in 2013, and, and here we are again where the aesthetic. And the problem with that is it's not that the look and the feel of those movies is bad. I mean, obviously, they're very highly well-produced, but that's the problem. They're so well-produced that everything else that feels like them, it starts to feel very homogenized to me. Like, I know we do, obviously, we've gotten movies in the last 10 years that look nothing like them. I get that. But I just feel like that that look and feel and vibe, especially the jump scare thing that we start getting with subsequent movies, like the Nun movies mm. and, and all of those, the Annabelle movies. It's it just, it all starts to feel very homogenized to me. It's very repetitive. It's very predictable. And to me, the cardinal sin of horror, along with comedy, is making it super predictable because then it just doesn't, it's like, eh, okay. I mean, it's here, it's a thing, I watch it, but it's mm. not, it doesn't stick with you the way, like a great comedy should, and I don't mean shocking necessarily in a vulgarity way, although that could be effective, mm-hmm. but it should catch you by surprise. That's yeah. why yeah. a tasteless or dark joke can make people laugh because you're like, what? Who says that, right? Whereas with horror, it's the same kind of thing. It doesn't always have to be shocking and gory and violent, but it's got to feel and look, there's got to be something unexpected. There's a certain movie which shall remain nameless because I don't want to go there with you right now, that <laughs> That was the only, honest to God, the main reason why I loved it so much. It's because it was so, it was like the anti-conjuring aesthetically. You know what I mean? And it's like, it starts with an S and uh, rhymes with a rinky dink. Um, (laughs) So I feel like that movie was very influential Mm -hmm. for better or worse. So I like some of the movies in the universe that, so it's not like I'm knocking all of them, but I'm definitely not one of these people who's like, I'm all in every country, every movie that comes out in the country universe, I have to see it and I love it. <laughs> like, I don't think I've seen, I didn't see any of the nun movies. I didn't see La okay. I know, I, I know I haven't missed anything. Cause actually, I think I have HMP to thank for the first nun. Cause I think you were, yeah, I think that came out when you were still on mm. and you guys reviewed it. And all you kept talking about was like, you should have called like nun, you know, colon jump scare movie or something. And cause that's all it was. Mm, and I yeah. like a good jump scare once or twice, not like every two seconds. So it just gets annoying. So anyway, that all being said, I love that my my pick that's supposed to be like, this is an important film is one I'm denigrating. But I think The Conjuring is a great movie. And I like the sequels. Mm-hmm. I just feel like its influence is the, I can't think of anything that came out in the last 10 years that if I had to like pinpoint it, had a bigger impact. Yeah, which is why you went slightly before the 10 years. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Slightly. Uh, but actually, if I am going to have my uh, my second choice, it would be Paranormal Activity. Okay, Dr. Walking Dead, this is the answer that I have been so intrigued to hear. Which horror film has been the most important or influential or revolutionary to the horror genre as a whole? Okay, that is hard to say. I have an answer and I'm confident in my answer. But that kind of a question, it takes some time and reflection. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we need to kind of see, did the film really have the impact that we, that we think it is or that it, we hope it did? And it it may take a decade or two before we realize the power uh, of an exorcist or a Halloween uh, that have these like long reaching uh, tendrils of influence and effect. So true. So, yeah, we're all going to have probably a myopic take on this. It's (laughs) possible, but I am right. Oh, and it is possible that some of the other hosts are also right. Okay. So I've, uh, like I said, been watching a lot of horror. I've been doing a lot more horror with my career. I've broadened out from zombies quite a bit. And I've checked out a lot of the other trends that are happening. And so I would like to briefly speak to trends, even though you didn't ask. Mm -hmm. 
that in the last 10 years, I think we've seen an uptick in witch horror. I think witches are being much more prominently featured. I think possession horror has been a big deal. There's been a lot of those cranked out. There's also been a, a delightful upswing in, in folk horror, which I particularly enjoy. These kind of folktale horrors, they mess me up. Mm-hmm. The period pieces, stuff like that. Yeah, And so we have seen this kind of move to a different type of horror film. And then the, the perhaps the most controversial is the so-called elevated horror, <laughs> which I know is, is a fighting words for some. <laughs> but this sense where we're seeing a, a more artistic and aesthetic and even kind of esoteric approach to things that are frightening. And along the way, we've had some, uh, we've already had in the last 10 years, some really heavy hitters coming out of the gate as directors, writer directors who are really paving the way for a new type of horror with a new kind of level of intensity. Mm-hmm. And so when I think back over the last 10 years, and when I think of, of a film that has not only shaken me to my core, but that has had very noticeable and tangible influences on the films to follow and the trajectory of modern day horror films and what it could look like, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, an escalation of certain content, uh, pulling fewer punches, going for broke, right? These different things. I got to say, from my position as a film scholar and as a teacher of film lovers, the most influential horror film of the last 10 years is none other than Ari Aster's Hereditary. Oh, I knew, brother, I had a feeling and, <laughs> and it was definitely in my list of considerations. But yeah, let's let's hear it. Oh, let's hear it. Hereditary is at the time, I would hazard to say that we had not seen anything like that. And I know that we like to throw that phrase around. You've never seen anything like this. Mm-hmm. But honestly, the way Hereditary is shot, the way it is presented, the extremely disturbing kind of like psycho saxophone music score, <laughs> the unexpected twists and turns, and the really just shocking resolution that doesn't resolve anything Mm -hmm. is really, really upsetting. And the fact that this film plays on almost every possible familial anxiety or fear Mm -hmm. is just unrelenting. And of course, this is one of those movies that has what I like to call that scene Mm -hmm. capitalized, that scene. (laughs) Yeah. The hereditary that scene in the car, it comes out of nowhere. Mm Mm-hmm. It comes out of nowhere. And maybe some other more savvy listeners are like, oh, I saw it coming. Now, I, I was uh, ill-advisedly watching this on a transatlantic flight. Oh. <laughs> and so, unfortunately, I was on something of a small screen, but I had the headsets and I had all these people around me. And when I got to that point in the film, it was like, holy crap, uh, did anybody else see that? I'm sorry if children are nearby. <laughs> uh, and because from that point of the film... Uh. And one of the most disturbing things is the result of that is that we don't see Annie, the mother Annie, played mm-hmm. by Tony Collette. We don't see her reaction. We hear it. Oh, yes. Yes. And that audio track where we stay uh, with Peter, Alex Wolf, but we hear Annie's reaction. Oh, my gosh. And so every parent's worst nightmare, right? Yeah. And, and, and to put that out in such a realist, raw, unfiltered way. Amen. It just chills me, chills me, chills me. Yes. And then as it gets darker, as it gets more sinister, we start seeing things that other filmmakers have embraced where things in the background are super important, but you don't notice them on a first watch. Mm-hmm. Things that are in, in the, the third layer of the frame, but they're not in deep focus or you, <laughs> you don't see them right away. 
And the go for broke emotional acting, the relentless emotional exhaustion that you go through. Yes. And then this open embracing of folklore, of witchcraft, of Satanism. I mean, it's almost on par with some of the films we saw during the satanic panic of the 70s. Mm-hmm. But here, the attitude towards it is ambivalent. It's not, this is super evil and this film's a morality tale. Instead, it's like, look at it, look at it. Yeah. <laughs> and um, sometimes you don't want to look at it. But films that have echoed this or followed this or mirrored this, you know, creepy handmade altars, statuary, dead bodies that are set up in tableaus, Mm -hmm. uh, all that kind of stuff has become really prevalent. Mm -hmm. Because I also thought about Midsommar, which is a similarly polarizing film, but let's go to the, let's go to the source. Without Hereditary, there is no Midsommar. Yes. And I think without Hereditary, there's a lot of there is nose. So that's where I'm coming in, Jay. And I'm, I'm drawing the line in the sand. The most important influential horror film of the past 10 years is Hereditary. And I am suspecting I am not the only one who is going to propose such an answer. Exceptional pick. This is Matt Greenberg, screenwriter of Halloween H2O. You are listening to Horror Movie Podcast, where we are dead serious about horror movies. Okay, so now we're on to question three. Gentlemen, this is my favorite question of the three, especially hearing from this group, because I think I've saved the best question for last. I feel like this is the most valuable for the listeners out there. So here's the question. Which horror film is your pick? For a film that you would personally champion and try to promote because it is a surprisingly unknown horror gem. Okay, my favorite one here, Gilman Joel. I'm not saying that you're my favorite one. I'm saying this is my favorite question. Well, well, well to, be, to be fair, you're not Dave Z. That's, so, that's Dave I'm, Z. Dave Z. I'm pretty sure I'm Dave Z's favorite one. Yes. Had, I done, had I done the top 10 with him, I'm pretty sure I would have been his actual favorite. His favorite horror Avenger. Yeah, that's true. So if I am able to take part in whatever top 10 we do this year, <laughs> or rather, let me rephrase, based on our track record uh, in two years. Yeah, two years uh, from now. Yeah, two years from now when we do the 2023 <laughs> top 10, I will be Dave Z's favorite. <laughs> okay. So okay. that being said, that being said, yes, this is the favorite <laughs> of the last 10 years. My, this one is within the window you gave and, us. And it's, and it's not. Okay, so this is a surprisingly unknown horror yes. gem yes. is what yes. we're looking for. Yeah, because ultimately, that if you had to like pick your actual like favorite favorite, that'd have been a little more tough. Because like immediately, like Barbarian and a couple other ones that I don't want to mention because they're probably giving me in my top ten for this year. You know that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. there recently there have been some ones that I've absolutely loved. Obviously, and then you go back to like 2016. There's a lot of great movies. Mm-hmm. So this one, I wonder if we're gonna fight <laughs> because it's a recent one and it's a movie that I think is uh, let's just say has gotten a bad rap by a lot of people certain horror podcasters. (laughs) This is a movie that you should absolutely reassess in a totally different way. (laughs) And it's a movie that I feel got vastly ignored by people who think, oh, oh, that was just dumb, blah, blah, blah. (laughs) Jay, my pick, you'll never guess. Uh, You better not. You better not do it. You'll never guess my pick, Jay. I won't be able to guess it. Go ahead. I don't know. My pick for the underrated reassess one of my all-time favorites in the last 10 years i don't care what you say jay (laughs) 
is the one and only Malignant from 2021. All right. <laughs> Thank heavens. Yeah, you totally thought I was going to say something. Yeah, if you uh, would have said skin in a rink, I was going to lose it. <laughs> uh, no, I did not. Malignant from 2021. Dude, so this movie to me, well, here's why I love this movie. Mm-hmm. I love this movie because one, it was the first back in theater post the effing debacle of a existence that everyone had for a year or so there, two years, whatever it was, because they blocked it all out now, of the vid. And it was, I think, the one of the first, if not the first, horror release back in theaters where they'd opened the theaters back up. I know it was definitely the first that I got to see of the theater. Hmm. And so, and I knew nothing about, I don't think I had seen the trailer. I said, okay, James Wan, and it's not a friggin' Conjuring movie. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. and I'd heard he kind of made it because he had done Aquaman and made, made like a gajillion dollars. And he like just wanted to make this fun, over-the-top horror flick. I'm like, okay, cool, 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 cool. Mm-hmm. And I saw it. And I thought literally the only thing that could have made that movie better for me is if it had starred Nick Cage. Because <laughs> it was that kind of wacky. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing I loved about it is it felt anti-postmodern. It felt like a movie that would have been made pre-screen. Like this is a movie that would have come out like 1990, right? Mm-hmm. Played it in the local theater for a couple of weeks, a few weeks. Then it would have just, just you would have read about it in Fangoria. Mm-hmm. This is me to my younger self. So I would have read about it in Fangoria. I would have been the like one or two other people in the theater. I would have been their opening weekend. Would have watched like a Dr. Giggles kind of situation. <laughs> yes. And I would have loved it. I would have tried to tell people about it. Nobody would have gone to see it. And then it would have shown up in, in my local like movie warehouse video store around six months later. And a new release, boom, I'd rent it and I would love it. And that's what Malignant felt like to me. It was blissfully unself-aware. And I absolutely loved it for that. I loved it for that fact. I bought the poster. I owned it on VHS, dude. I owned it on friggin' VHS. Wow. That's how much. And how did I get it? Because Brainbuster video effing rules. That's why. Mm-hmm. Brainbuster, Zach, and Luna, you guys rock. So I just wanted to throw out a little shout out to them, which you may cut out. I don't know, but I'm still shouting them out. Because of them, I own Malignant on friggin' VHS. So. <laughs> Yeah, it's awesome. I love this movie. I think it's fun. I know my buddy Kevin Spencer is the only other person I've ever talked to offhand. I think I think he's the only other person I've talked to that loved it to the degree that I did. I've heard of some other people like, yeah, it was fine, you know. But then I've also heard many people like, are you one of those? No, 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 no. Actually, in fact, I'm happy to report to you. Great pick because I sat on this. I didn't watch it until this year. Oh, okay. Um, back in June, I'm like... I'm finally going to watch it because I thought because of how divisive it was when it first came out, I'm like the experience, you know, when people were talking about it and I didn't know anything about it. So I was totally unspoiled for two years. I watched it this year and brother. I got to tell you, I love this 8.5 for me. Now, see, it. I love you, Jay. I love you. Yes. It's it's because at this point in my life, I feel like I don't necessarily want to give movies tens anymore. It's like a 9.5 for me, though. I love mm-hmm. it. I just I and it's like on a bad and I, I, I am willing to. It's much like like a Dr. Giggles. I, I get why people would think it's dumb or like not like it. Fine. Well, I don't really care. <laughs> I love well, it. I, and I know a lot of people read it as humorous or dark humor, but honestly, it's scary. It's way. scary to me the whole yes. time. That movie freaks me out. No, no joke. See, that's what I mean. But do you see what I'm saying? Like that, that whole like, oh, it's got hubert. Because I think they're still reading through that lens of like the last 20 mm. plus years where we've gotten incessant ever since. Look, I love Scream, one of my all time favorite movies, period. But. Ever since like that postmodern sort of BS, like where everything's gonna be self-aware and meta and blah blah blah, and it's gotta know that it's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, everything's ironic. No, it's that's what I love. I think I think 
It's not meant to be ironic. I think when a character drives to an abandoned asylum that's sitting on like a cliff in the middle of the friggin' night just to find some information that there's no way it should actually be there. I don't think that was a bad writing choice. I think it was intentional. Mm-hmm. It's weird. It's like it's like the writers were self-aware about the danger of putting too much self-awareness in their movie. So it's like post postmodern. Does that make sense? <laughs> yes. Like that's what I love about it. Yeah, like and good. And when she arrived there at the the cliff in the middle of the night <laughs> yes. it was surrounded by uh changeling wheelchairs there were a ton of those there which yeah, i loved yeah, yeah. oh yeah all of, but that's what i've been saying like so it's not like an example of like if this movie had been made in 1990 whoever wrote it you would probably chalk it up to they're just churning out a quick a little horror flick they aren't even trying to make sense the characters just do dumb things we've been around long enough and so is james wan as a horror fan to know all of the tropes all of the cliches so if you do them it's a choice like, it's like a conscious, I want this character to be dumb. Because you know what, kids? I know it's going to shock everyone to learn. Occasionally, kids, in real life, people are stupid. And they do really <laughs> stupid things. And in fact, oftentimes you hear a true story, you go, you could never make that in a movie like that because nobody would believe it. Because why would people be that stupid? And then you're like, because some people are. So characters being stupid in movies is totally fine. I love Malignant. That is my pick. I think it should absolutely be reassessed. It makes me ecstatic, Jay. See, this is those moments, Jay. And I can't really bring up the skin and because I totally get why you don't like it. Uh, but there's other movies where I'm like, eh, I don't know why Jay likes that one to the degree that he does. But every, but there, I feel like more often than not, you and I are relatively in sync yes. with taste. So, yes. uh, and the other thing I'll say, well, actually, no, no, because in the case, there are those handful of people out there like yourself that haven't swallowed. I'm not going to say other movies that it reminds me of because that would give away a key thing that mm-hmm. I don't want to So mm-hmm. uh, all I'm saying is if you've never seen Malignant and you haven't been spoiled, bless you. Go watch it ASAP. Oh, it is yes. just a fun, bonkers. And I would say on, no, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to say what subgenre because, again, it would screw something up. So I'm going to shut up. All I'm going to say is go watch it. It's fun. It is a fun horror flick that is blissfully, intentionally unself-aware. Back you, brother. Great pick. All right. I can't wait to hear the answer to this because I love to hear about lesser appreciated, lesser known. So, Trey Whetstone, which horror film is your pick for a surprisingly unknown horror gem? that you'd want to champion for everybody. Yeah, so I went back and forth on this. I had a couple of picks. There was an Indian film that I I really enjoy, but I didn't realize that it was a Netflix film, I guess. And it's got, though I don't know a lot of people in the our community have seen it, it's definitely been seen by a lot of people. So I went with one that I actually like a little better, but I think your mileage might vary as far as horror fans go. And that is one called The Night Sitter. The Night Sitter, okay. Yes, yes. And this was released in 2019, I believe, to the public. I actually saw this in 2018 at a film festival here in Columbus. And this is a tribute to Dario Argento with the lighting and the uh, three mothers and all this kind of stuff uh, Mm -hmm. plays a factor. Now, it does have a little bit of a comedy bent to it, Jay. I don't know how it would fare with yourself, <laughs> but um, yeah. it is really and it is a little lower budget, but I really think it has a charm to it and it doesn't hold back in terms of violence and gore and anything like that. It does bring it there, even though it does have nice. uh, some of the more comedic elements. But um, I think it's cool. You know, you have a 
a woman who is hired to be a babysitter to this guy who's like this famous. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if he's famous, but he's on TV and he does these kind of investigations into the paranormal. And he's always wanted, you know, to see something supernatural. But he brings this woman in to babysit his son and the woman that he's dating her son. Uh, but she's really casing the place to kind of rob it. And one of the boys gets into I think it's the guy's study or his like relic room or something. And they might open up something that they sh shouldn't have. And <laughs> it kind of unleashes something upon it. And it uh, just goes off the rails from there. But I've always liked this one. This one is a Christmas horror movie. It's one that I try to watch every couple of years and I still enjoy it. So The Night Sitter is one that I really like. And I think, you know, it's not going to hit for everyone, but uh, I'd never hear that one talked about hardly. Although I think it might have been mentioned on horror movie podcast at one point. But mm. because you know how the, the Christmas episodes are kind of. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you're going to dig in for something at some point. Um right. Yeah, I, that's one of my uh, hidden gems. Excellent. Yeah, for whatever reason, I don't have any recollection about this movie, so this is new. And I especially love that it's a Christmas horror, so that'll be one for us to check out. Yeah. One, one last note, just a side note and maybe a bonus for the listeners. When you were teasing, I think you said something about an Indian film. I thought for sure that you were going to say one that Mr. Watson introduced me to, which is uh, <laughs> Tumbad, T-U-M-B-B-A-D from India. 2018. No, no, that's a great one. But, uh, oh. This one was called uh, Bol Bol. Oh, okay, uh, okay. <laughs> All right, how do you spell that so we can look it up B too? B-U-L-B-B-U-L. -B -B -L. Okay, cool. So there you go, listeners. Two little bonus gems for yeah. you yep. as well. well. That one's on Netflix, and it's just as visually stunning as Tombod. Cool, okay. Yeah, but officially, though, your pick is The Night Sitter. Night Sitter. Yes, yes. Thank you. The HMP listeners know that I still record 10-minute segments where I do these two little mini-reviews of very special horror movies, and I send it in for the Frankensteinian episodes. And this pick was actually going to be my very next segment, but I'm going to share it here because it fits perfectly with the description, Surprisingly Unknown Horror Gem. Now, I've probably talked about this movie in the past on this show, and I want Pastor Matt to know, because he mentioned it, it did take Herculean strength for me not to pick the corpse of Anna Fritz <laughs> oh, <laughs> or, <thank God. laughs> or Jimmy, Jimmy Weber's Eat from 2014. I love uh, those. Eat. Yes. Eat. Yeah. Let me, let me tell you something, one. Jay. I have never seen the corpse of Anna Fritz. And because I share streaming services with my wife and I want to remain married, I never will see it. <laughs> well, you, you might be surprised. I'll just leave it at that because it's not exactly what you think. But anyways. That's not what I we're here for. <laughs> so here's a must-see for horror fans. I'm serious. This is for people who love crazy, killer, religious cult movies. And don't worry, Doc Shock, I'm not going to say the one that you might have picked from 2017. This film is called <laughs> Children of Sorrow. Oh, yeah. Now, yeah. oh, I love it. I love it that you know it. IMDb has this listed as a 2012 film, but this was not available till 2014. It had a DVD release through Lionsgate March of 2014. You can also stream this currently on Amazon, just saying, so it's not hard to find. And speaking of IMDb, just a little tidbit on this. You can judge how obscure a movie tends to be based on the number of times that it's been rated on IMDb. So, for example, it follows my previous pick that's been rated like 261,000 times. But as of this morning, when I went on there to revisit Children of Sorrow to make sure it was good enough for this, 
I saw that it had only been rated exactly 666 times. So it's like a 666. <laughs> Just weird, right? Anyways, co-written and directed by Jordan McClure. It's rated R. has runtime 1 hour, 28 minutes. And it stars character actor Bill Oberst Jr. as the cult leader, Father Simon. He's terrifying. And the premise is you got this young woman from London. She travels to the U.S.-Mexico border to this little town to find out what happened to her sister. Because her sister joined this religious community in the southwest desert somewhere. But when the concerned sister, Ellen, travels to this compound that's run by Father Simon, her eyes are opened to a new way of looking at what turns out to be a horrifying world. So... There are some great cult movies out there, but I will submit to you that this is one of the very best. This is a 9 out of 10 for me. And like I said, it's very unknown. When this film begins, it doesn't look like much. I just want to tell you that because the sets and the production design are very simple. It's almost too plain and boring, but it does fit appropriately with the story. It is filmed in a found footage type of style where the film that we're watching comes from Father Simon's camera, Ellen's camera, and the compound's surveillance footage. And you all probably know by now that I'm an impatient viewer and kind of a clock watcher with movies. And I don't usually love slow burns or drama horror, but this builds and becomes more and more horrific. So the deliberate pace totally pays off many, many times. This thing is brutal. The horror fans are going to be pleased. It's very disturbing. Hidden horror gem. It's called Children of Sorrow. 9 out of 10. I say buy it. It's a buy for me. At the very least, you can stream it. It's a must stream. Now, Nathan, were you the one who reacted? That, that was you... me, yes. Okay, yeah. You... Oh, I back you up on this, actually, Jay. I back oh, you up this. Uh, oh, I don't know if I give it a 9, but it is a strong film. I saw it. We got an opportunity to interview Bill nice. uh, Oberst Jr. Actually, years ago, he had just done Resolution and Abraham Lincoln versus Zombies, which is a cheap <laughs> sci-fi movie. But I was so impressed that he gave like a legitimate Lincoln performance in that movie. So we contacted and we talked to him. And he's Bill, even though being in movies like, you know, this one and uh, Nude Nuns with Big Guns, is a believer. And he takes his like faith very seriously. Mm-hmm. But when we asked him at the end, like, do you have anything that you – Really think people should see either in your back catalog or coming up. And I think he had just finished this film. And he said, if you don't see anything I've done, see Children of Sorrow. At that point, he's made many movies since then. But he said, Mm -hmm. I think it's the best thing that I've done. And I, seeing the trailers, I agree with you. I probably wouldn't have checked it out. But we'd had such a nice talk with him. I'm like, this guy's legit. Like, he has talent, even though he makes, you know, sometimes bottom-of-the-barrel stuff. And this is not a bottom-of-the-barrel movie in content and form. It's very good for an independent film. And he is terrifying. Like, he yes. gets <laughs> – he understands the inner workings. I think it's the thing he does with his characters. He humanizes them. And he said that. And, and he's like, you know what? I, as a believer, I want people to see that everybody's human, even those who are evil. And sometimes that makes it creepier. And that's what he nails in that movie. Yes. Amen. You got it, brother. Did you did you say he did a movie called Nude Nuns with Big Guns? I believe he did, yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. He all thinks all people, Matt. Hey, look, man, it's, I, I don't think I'll ever watch that movie, but it's a cool band name. It, it is. Do <laughs> <laughs> you listening, Jackson? True. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we ended a really fun back-to-back movies episodes, and this movie was one of the reviews during that during those episodes. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> those are good episodes of cult ones. That was really good. Yeah. There were some on the top. Excellent.
All right, Dr. Shock, what are you championing as a surprisingly unknown horror gem? Oh, wow. You know what? I'm going to go with The Night Shifter mm-hmm. from 2019. This film meant the world to me. It really did. Did anyone else out there see this film? I did based on your recommendation. Yeah. It's same it, here. because It was a shock said. because it hit your top 10 and I hadn't even heard of it. Yeah, and, me three. Uh, wow. Okay. For me, it is definitely The Night Shifter. I think this is one of the great films of the 2010s. And I don't know that I would put the, it right there with... Terrified? Terrified, yes. I don't know that I would put it right there with Terrified. But for me, I really love The Night Shifter. I want to hear now from anyone who else saw this film. Yeah, it. I saw it only because you had said something, Dave. Like, And then I never even heard of it, like Wolfman says. I checked it out, and it's it's really good. It's really freaky. Even the things where they seem limited by budget, there's a thing they do with the mouths of the corpses that I guess and technically could be silly, but it just right. makes it all the freakier. There's a there's this consistency with the movie, even when the tones change, that you feel like you're in this other world where the rules are slightly off, but you feel like you know them as you get about you know a quarter into the film, and it just goes goes from there. Nice. Yeah, I also saw it based on your recommendation, Dr. Shock, and I loved it quite a bit. It was on Shudder at the time. I don't know if it still is, but anyone out there listening who subscribes to Shudder, I recommend her, the doctor, track it down and watch it. But yeah, it's a Brazilian movie, which is cool because I don't see too many horror movies coming out of Brazil. And yeah, highly effective, very creepy atmosphere. And I just really love the story. Like, I think it'd make a great novella or something like that where you start to realize what the rules are of this you know humans interacting with the supernatural yeah it was a big surprise for me too i um it was judged the book by its cover for me i saw it on shutter just didn't stand out to me but your hearty recommendation is the reason i checked it out it is i'm seeing i think it is still available on shutter and it is on amazon as well people can check it out but like Dave said about doing horrible things to Netflix, unfortunately, we, <laughs> we have to do those things to Shutter too, because they don't have this one available <laughs> or DVD. But um, I would love a copy of this one. This is a this is a great film for sure. Nice. All right, The Night Shifter. I have not seen it, Doctor Shock. But now, after hearing everybody and you again, I'm gonna have to get to this. Thank you. Oh, you you gotta get to it, Jay. Okay. Yeah, I think you'll like it. it. Yeah, I think we'll do. Well, I mean, well. if it's a morgue situation, then let's let's do this, right? <laughs> anyway. Oh boy. <laughs> okay. So, so Not uh, the night groper. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Victor the Hellcat. Okay, which movie is your pick for a surprisingly unknown horror gem? Well. I don't know if I can say this is really unknown, but it's definitely it definitely wasn't well liked when it was released, <laughs> but I loved it. It was I think it was my number one movie of 2018. Good guess, though. No, it's Annihilation. And yeah, directed by Alex Garland. And um, you guys know. There's been a lot of talk ever since probably Jim Cameron's Aliens director's cut impressed fans that there are all these secret movies out there that only if directors had enough power, they could show you oh, like how Christ. it really should have ended. In most cases, I would say 
They aren't as good as aliens. No. <laughs> but this is a case where two of the executives in charge of the movie went to war before it got released. And the one that won was the one on the side of the director who had the film released exactly as the director wanted, which means it has a really enigmatic, depressing ending. And all the intellectual brainy stuff that the executives at, I think is Paramount, objected to are in the movie. And, uh, you know, we're talking about Alex Garland. I mean, this is the guy that made Ex Machina, um, Men recently, Sunshine. Sunshine. Yeah, he wrote 28 Days Later. And he did this uh, this really cool theoretical science fiction series on Hulu a while ago called uh, Devs that I like quite a bit. Shout out Um, to Beach. I still love it. I don't care what you guys say. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, I think this is an important movie just because of how it was released. Netflix streamed the film, I think, 17 days after the theatrical release, which has kind of become the norm now. But at the time, it was pretty revolutionary. And all I can say is, I know my time's almost up, so all I can say is it's a really cool story that's a great metaphor for mortality, like Jay the Dead was talking about recently, how horror films are so good at conveying that. All of the women scientists that go into the area in the movie are are all sort of stages of depression. There are all kinds of really cool metaphors in this movie and a lot of great references to other works. Uh, There's a a bunch of J.G. Ballard stuff if you read his books and so on. But anyway, it's got a really, really chilling ending that makes you go, oh, that's what's been going on, you know. But it's also a tremendous movie. The encounter with the semi-bear is an unsinkable moment in this movie that is one of the creepiest things I've ever seen. So I think it succeeds on every level, at least for people like me. <laughs> so that's my pick. Yeah. Uh, this was in the running for my haunting movie, just because Same of that, that ending. Oh. I, I definitely was on my short list of movies I considered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I understand. It's a great pick, and... You know, if people haven't seen it, they should. And it's one of those films where the scene with the bear, I think, even if people for some reason, and I don't know why they would, just didn't like the film, that scene will go down in history is, I think, one of the greatest scenes in, in horror films, certainly in modern horror films. Mm. Almost as good as the scene in Prophecy with the bear, right? In the sleeping bear. <laughs> <laughs> Almost. Almost, right. Uh, <laughs> But, the episode we did on the weird it was really enlightening to me because I wasn't as familiar with this brand of storytelling, and I learned a lot on that episode on the weird where we covered this movie. It was really fascinating. It's like a grab bag of horror too, because there's several different kinds in there in terms of you know that bear scene is creepy in a different way than the final ending, which is kind of almost trippy. You know, mm-hmm. the last third of the movie is so yeah, very, yeah, it's unsettling. It's cerebral. You almost have like some 2001 vibes. It's, it's an amazing movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess I didn't remember or wasn't aware either one or the other that the people didn't receive this as well. Victor. I mean, I, it creeped me out. I remember being creeped out by it as well. So excellent. Yeah, it was, it was a box office bomb, but Highly worth checking out. Mm-hmm. Yes, we back you, brother. All right, now that brings us to Nathan. Want to know what your surprisingly unknown horror gem is? Okay, and I think 
like Annihilation, which dips its toes into science fiction and other things, you could see this movie in a couple different lights, whether you see it as a thriller or as a sci-fi film, maybe maybe even a, um, a low-key superhero movie. This is from 2017, and it's a, it's a film directed by a director who really hadn't made any horror films or anything quite like it to this point, and that is Joachim Trier's Thelma from 2017 which is a movie about a young girl that something very crazy is happening in the very beginning. You have another case of a, of a parent sort of pursuing a child in a way that looks very creepy. And then we move forward in time and we have a coming of age story about a young girl. She's coming from this very conservative Christian family. And now she's sort of at university. She's out from under that. And she's realizing that she has some considerable abilities that she was never aware of and, and, and didn't remember and uh, in a lot of ways, she's not unlike that kid from the Twilight Zone episode, A Good Life, who can sort of, mm-hmm. uh, who has incredible power, not just the power to mm-hmm. move things with your mind, but to change the way, the fabric of reality in a sense. And so that's a huge thing. And it's situated in a film, it sometimes feels a little bit like a witch film, like a supernatural film, but it's also very much a character study. I'm not saying there's anything jump scare creepy in this film. There's not anything that's going to really disturb you. But I think it's a very powerful portrait of a person who's wrestling with a lot of different things, including their sexuality in the face of repression with their own feelings towards their parents and their parents towards them. And just when you're young and you feel like, hey, I I can... The world's what I make it. Well, for her, it really, it's really true. And it's its in mm-hmm. any moment. It's in my good emotions and it's in my bad emotions and, the, and all the emotions that are tumultuous in between. So Thelma from 2017, I think it's a I think it's a haunting film in its own right. I think it's an amazing movie. It's got great performances. It's uh, very beautifully directed. Great, great. Beautiful yeah. film. I think it made my top 10 that year it came out, but it's yeah, definitely underseen. I've never seen it. Same. It's really good. I think it's on Hulu, maybe, actually. Nice. Maybe elsewhere. It might be on. I'll take a look while we're. What was the year it came out again? Twenty seventeen, and I believe that's right because I it was at the top of my horror list in twenty seventeen, which was the same year, which was amazing because I thought Get Out would be right at the top, and I think that's that was twenty seventeen. Yeah, and that was my number seven that year. Yeah, it's really good. It's right between a dark song and super dark times. <laughs> <laughs> I love those mm. movies too. Those are both good. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Thelma. Well, thank you, Nathan. Excellent. Okay, Dr. Kyle Bishop, which horror film is your pick for a surprisingly unknown hidden gem that you want to champion and spread the word about? All right, Jay, this is hard because a lot of the films I like, everybody else likes. (laughs) A lot of the films I'm familiar with, I'm familiar with them because other people are familiar with them. Mm -hmm. So I felt really unfairly put on the spot here (laughs) with this idea of I got to come up with well, a hidden gem. P.S. Everybody, everybody has had notice. So, <laughs> so I'm gonna, I'm gonna go out on a limb. I'm gonna try something here. Good. And I'm hoping that there are. This is going to be new and hidden for some of the listeners. But mm-hmm. maybe you know it's super obvious. But I'm gonna do it anyway. Okay. Uh, and I'm also going to come back to my roots here and do. And I am gonna plug um, some zombie action. Mm-hmm. I do think the best zombie film of the last 10 years is Train to Busan, but that's hardly a hidden gem. Right. That is well known and uh, mainstream and all the things. But I did want to put something out there because as I've talked to other zombie fans and zombie scholars, as I've done the lecture circuit this year, a surprising number of people have not heard of this film. So I'm putting it out there. Mm. 
This is 2017's Cargo. Now, Cargo is not super obscure, but it is a little. So Yolanda Ramke wrote it, and Ben Howling and Ramke directed it together, and it's an adaptation of their own short film. Mm-hmm. So it started as just a, a short and then they turned it into a feature. And one of the reasons why I'm, I'm concerned it doesn't count very well as a hidden gem is because it stars uh, Martin Freeman, who is a, you know, he's a superstar. Mm-hmm. He's, he's Watson. He's Bilbo. You know, he's, he's in Marvel <laughs> movies. Everybody knows him. Yeah. But I think this film is kind of a quiet piece. And it's horror that is more of this kind of subtle psychological horror. Mm-hmm. But it's also, it's Australian, which is cool. Australian film, it's Aboriginal. And it really is kind of an eco-horror take on zombies. And uh, so it's a, it's a cool premise. Uh, the zombie pandemic is long at play when the movie starts. So we're dropped into the middle of, a, of an ongoing situation. Mm-hmm. And the scenario is that people get infected and they have a certain time period in which they will turn. Yeah. And uh, so he, Martin Freeman, who is playing Andy, Andy and his wife and their baby Rosie are trying to escape infection by uh, by being on a boat in Outback, Australia. But Thumi played, oh no, Thumi's not the wife. Uh, I don't remember the wife's name. I think it's Kate. But anyway, she gets infected, and just before Andy can put her down, she bites him. Mm. So the scenario is just chilling. You got a dad with a baby in the middle of nowhere, and he's going to turn into a zombie and eat that baby Mm -hmm. unless he can get that baby to some kind of safety. And so along the way, he encounters different people. And he's got to evaluate in this apocalyptic wasteland, is this the kind of person I can trust with my baby? Yeah. Not for a, not for a night, not for a weekend, for the rest of her life. Right. Because Andy's dying. Mm-hmm. And so some really cool tense moments happen with different people that he encounters. And then there is this whole cool thing with the Aboriginal people and his, in his relationship with Thumi. Mm-hmm. played by Simone Landers, who is uh, an Aboriginal girl that he also kind of adopts in a way. Mm-hmm. And then the ending of the film is just, uh, it's just a gut punch because it's like this loving father is going to become a zombie. Now, I could, I would see how maybe teenagers, 20-somethings, wouldn't be drawn to this film the way I am. Right. And they wouldn't find it as frightening as I do because it's not like chock full of zombie action. But for a father who has held a baby in my arms, Mm -hmm. this is a terrifying film. Yes. So so hopefully this is new to some. Hopefully this will be well-received. It is available on Netflix. It's a Netflix production, Mm -hmm. available to stream. And so I do highly recommend it. If you have not seen Cargo, please check it out. And Kyle, do you um, recommend that they watch this feature film first and then visit the short film or not worry about short film or what? Uh, The short film is like so many shorts, it's elusive. So I would just say, you know, go straight to the feature because I haven't been able to find the short. Yeah. And the short's only seven minutes long. So I would say, you know, just go to the final draft. That's right. Just go to the feature and... um, enjoy i think it's really a great film i think it's an excellent pick and i wonder if maybe part of the reason this film has been underappreciated because i agree with you 100 percent, is because people saw the short film and thought okay yeah i've seen i get the concept i don't need to watch an expanded feature film about it but i think you're right go to the feature film yes yeah absolutely 
Alright, that brings us to Wolfman. What is your pick for a surprisingly unknown horror gem? Well, I think gem is really easy for me. Surprisingly unknown is hard for me. because I don't, I don't take a lot of risks on modern horror movies. If it's like pre-1990, I'll take a risk on something I haven't heard of. If it's in the 60s or 70s, I'll definitely watch anything. But <laughs> in the post-digital Amazon age, you can just you can really bite you. <laughs> yeah, when you can just pick up a camera and then download it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I skin him a rink. Sorry, yeah, I haven't, Sorry. I haven't no. taken as many risks. Um, <laughs> if it's lesser known, it's usually because it's a foreign film or it's on Shutter. And usually, if it's on Shutter, it's both of those things. I think for this audience, probably anything on Shutter is not super unknown. But I was originally going to go with Terrified. That was my first pick because I think it's just one everybody should see. I think it's a fantastic film. Heart plus Knife was another one I considered Ooh. for a, sh- a Shutter film. Yeah. One Cut of the Dead was one I considered for a Shutter <laughs> film. But the one I'm going with because I think it's the least seen of all these is Lutz L U Z. Ooh, yeah. That was my number four in 2019, and I absolutely love this movie. It's a little unresolved, but whatever is happening for the first <laughs> three-fourths of this movie, I am in love with. Like, I was on the edge of my seat, absolutely fascinated, and then just kind of, like, ends abruptly and a little short. But definitely one to check out. I think it is uh, – Gem is exactly right. Like, this is something completely different, and, um, yeah, I love it. Wolfman, is this the one uh, directed by Tillman Singer? Is that yes? Okay, okay, gotcha. Yeah, it's really cool. It's neat because Wolfram, like you're linked to, it's almost like a tone poem. It's a experience more than it is a story, mm-hmm. but it is so visceral and weird. HMP listener Jim Lakowski gives it one half a star. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you know a movie's really good when people give it five stars and half a star, and there's nothing yeah. in between. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's yeah. art. It's actually interesting. It's cool. It's just really cool. I think it's a Spanish language, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Well, thank you. All right. And here is Jigsaw Jackson, the Jackal from Jekyll Island, with his answer to our third and final question. And then finally, an underrated hidden gem from the last decade. For this one, I'm going with Hunter Hunter from 2020. Now, Hunter Hunter is a Devon Sawa vehicle, of all things, but I think it was vastly underrated. To briefly talk about the plot, it concerns a family, they're living off the grid in the deep woods, uh, and they begin to hunt a wolf that's been ravaging their fur traps. But as the days go by, we start to suspect that there might be something more sinister out there. Hunter Hunter is a great low-budget picture uh, that I think vastly underperformed. It was one of my favorite films of the year it was released, and it's pretty much disappeared from the conversation, which is a real shame in my opinion. All right, wrapping it up, bringing us home on our very final host on the final question. Pastor Matt, the Velocipastor, what is your surprisingly unknown horror gem? Man, this was uh, like Wolfman. I had a tough time with this because when I look just on Letterboxd at kind of our the core of our community, I don't think they miss anything. You know, <laughs> so, it seems like they watch absolutely everything. Mm-hmm. So I thought about this. And there was part of me that just wanted to be a jerk and uh, just go to war and champion strangers pray at night. <laughs> 
because yes, <laughs> not because it's a gem, just because so many people crapped on it. I actually love that movie a lot. I think it was a great sequel, but I guess the one where maybe some listeners haven't seen Toad and, Road. Yeah, no, yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, or The Corpse of Anna Fritz, but that's for marital reasons. <laughs> uh, there's been two films, uh, horror films, over the last five years where, uh, let's just say, it got a little dusty in the room and at the end. Aww. And one of them it's was... Slaughterhouse, uh, isn't it? Yes, it was Slaughterhouse, <laughs> which I only watched because you recommended it, Nathan. I'll take the blame. Okay. One of them was Tigers Are Not Afraid, which oh, I still yeah. think is a brilliant film, but it... I think most people know it, but the other one is The Witch in the Window. Oh, yes. 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 That, that I was thinking film, about that one today, yeah. Yeah, that film, I mean, the chemistry between the father and the son is so strong in that movie. And very low budget, you know, just a father and son restoring a, a Vermont farmhouse and, you know, there's ghost. And because of the chemistry between those two, it's just like, man, it, you're rooting for them and you're rooting for them and you're rooting for them. And they just keep getting smacked around and smacked around. And then the end of that movie, all I'll say is if you haven't seen it, when there's a knock on the wall <laughs> and the little boy says something, I will just go ahead and say I cried like a baby, especially as a, somebody was a single dad. I bawled. Brother. Yeah, just throwing this out there, Pastor Matt. Andy Mitten has been, you know that song, um, Killing Me Softly with his song, Strumming My Pain yes. with his finger? Yes. Andy Mitten does that to me with horror films, and his other yeah. film, The Harbinger and The Witch in the Window, have both destroyed me in that way. So, Well, they're both good. Yeah. I back you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that film is just, and I was shocked. That may be one of the few films with our community where I was like, I put it on my top ten list, and... I did actually have a couple people go, wait a minute, where's that at? And I couldn't believe people hadn't seen it. Mm-hmm. But I love that. I can't, I'm not sure I can ever watch it again. Just thinking about that ending makes me start to tear up. Yeah. And then when I heard from, I recommended it to Jackson and Jackson messaged me back and said he had just watched it. And I said, well, what did you think? And he, he literally said to me the same thing I just said. He goes, it got a little dusty in the room, dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm yeah. surprised he just didn't say, I love you, immediately. After. Yeah, <laughs> well, I think he knew that I probably ruined an iPhone from crying on it. If I- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, speaking of Jackson, anything for Jackson is another one. That- oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah. I forgot yeah. about that yeah. one. Yes. Julian Richings. <laughs> me away. Good film. And by the way, while we're throwing out the PS as uh, earlier, I teased the killer cult movie from 2017 that I thought oh, yeah, Doc Shock might pick. It's Jackal's. Jackals, oh, yeah. and that is a it's a ten. So yeah, a must see. And I don't know if I'm stepping on the toes of anybody who hasn't gone yet. So feel free to cut it. No, that's it. Go for it. It's, it's a little less probably hidden gem now than it was when it first came out. But the Empty Man from 2020, big mm-hmm. fan of oh, that yeah. movie. This is Peter calling from the south of Sweden. Just to let you know that you're listening to the horror movie podcast where they're dead serious about horror movies. Oh, 
Okay, now before we wrap up this episode, we do have a little bonus segment, especially for you HMP listeners. It's after the very end, after the final credits, the plugs and the music, all that. So make sure you keep listening all the way to the end of this episode. Why? Because in the spirit of our old Campfire Tales segments, where we'd tell you some real-life horror stories, well, Pastor Matt has a creepy little pre-recorded Campfire Tale for you. You heard references to Pastor Matt's aforementioned possession story, so be sure to keep listening to hear the Velocipastor tell the tale. All right. Well, great job, everybody. I thank you. That just about wraps up, believe it or not, this episode of Horror Movie Podcast. Wow. I want to thank all the listeners for joining us. You can find all the HMP episodes, old and new, at horrormoviepodcast.net. And of course, please be sure to subscribe to this free podcast where you can regularly hear from Nathan, Victor, Trey, Pastor Matt, and Jackson. And you even get some frequent contributions uh, such as the Tubi Roulette with Bill Van Bagel, which I love. (laughs) That's one of my favorite aspects. And then I I send in reviews once in a while and then we'll be hearing hopefully from the emeritus hosts from time to time as well. So absolutely. Let me just say, yes, of course, Jay, you, Dave, Wolfman, you're all welcome on anytime. It's always a pleasure to have you and you know, people who have been listening for 10 years, they absolutely geek out when they hear that any of you are going to be on here with the three of you on here. They're just going to go crazy. It's going to be, it's just going to be wonderful. So thank you. Awesome. Kyle and Joel. Yeah. Yeah, yes. absolutely. And I should say real Please, quick, God. I should say one of the, like you said, Bill Van Vagel sends in a segment. He may be the only person on the podcast who has seen nude nuns with big guns. <laughs> Didn't he star in that? You know, isn't he? (laughs) No, so he had a cameo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm just wondering. Okay. Just to mention, Tubi, I want to say, because we asked earlier where you could see Thelma, and one of the places that it's playing is on Tubi. Oh, nice. All right, uh, Velocipastor, I just want to thank you for the opportunity here uh, to step in and pinch hit once again. This was really fun, and um, just want to know if you would mind giving the listeners your final thoughts and where they can catch up with more of your work. Yeah, absolutely. Again, this was a blast. Thank you all. I'm so glad that HNP is continuing. And Nathan and Victor and Trey, you know, they do most of the work. Uh, I'm trying to trying to get in the finishing days of a PhD program. And so it's been really busy for me, but they have really carried the torch themselves. They've done a great job. I know that uh, Nathan's got some episodes in the can that he's working on. And so those will be out and we'll just keep it going. But it's all because of you guys, especially you, Jay, and it's just much appreciated. And here's to 10 more years. That's right. Thank you. And uh, as for me here, in addition to the horror segments that I send in, I'm over at Horror Movie Weekly with Mr. Watson. It's just the two of us now. Shani Dreadful's taken maternity leave and Projectile Varmint has gone on to spend more time focusing on her show, No Bodies Horror Podcast, which features Wolfman. He's had a recent guest appearance on there. 
I'll link it in the show notes. And you can hear Mr. Watson and I over at HorrorMovieWeekly.com. And then, of course, we're at Jay of the Dead's new horror movies, The Avengers of Horror Podcasting with Doc Shock, Gilman Joel, Mr. Watson, Dr. Walking Dead, Greg Amortis, Count Macula, Ron Martin, and Dave Z. And we even get official contributions from Kagan Breitenbach. And that's it. NewHorrorMovies.com. Okay, Wolfman, what are your final thoughts? And uh, tell the listeners where they can find more of your work. It's been great talking movies with you all. I haven't done that only this one time with Projectile Varmint in the last couple of years. So I'm not podcasting anywhere currently. So it was good. I didn't know if uh, I had to dust off this old bike and see if I could still ride in it. It was an interesting <laughs> experiment. But um, I appreciate it. It's really touching to me that you guys are carrying on the show because this is a show that meant a lot to me. And it's one of the things I'm most proud of in my life, to be honest. So I think it's awesome that the people who are carrying it on came out of our listenership. That's incredible. It's very meaningful to me. So I just want to thank all of you for carrying on what we started so many years ago. And currently, if you're interested in what I'm doing, if you have Disney Plus or Amazon or the National Geographic channel, you can see a show I work on called like Blue Zero First Alaskans. Season two is airing right now. Season three is going to start soon. And I've directed about 13 episodes here and there, but every episode has got like four directors because we're following different characters all over Alaska. If anyone remembers all my bear and moose survival stories from back in the day, I'm doing that same stuff. And uh, and we're doing it wow. in Alaska. And um, I just started a band. Um, <laughs> Pacific nice. Island protest rock because there were no punk Polynesian band, so we decided to start one. So we just released our first demo. Um, it's on Spotify under the Savage Nobles. They have a song called Comply Resist that's available, but we're going to put out a seven inch and then a full length album. That should be fun. And other than that, I'm just making documentaries and scrambling around. So yeah, great talking to all of you. And yeah, it was a blast. Awesome. Thank you, Wolfman. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks. Okay, uh, Night Stalker Nathan, what are your final thoughts? And uh, let us know your plugs. Uh, yeah, this is great to get together and talk with everyone to have everybody on the show. And you can find me over at Phantom Galaxy. We're getting stuff fired back up there. Myself and Bill Van Vagel. Maybe we will review, but probably not. New nuns with big guns. And uh, <laughs> you can also, of course, find me here at Horror Movie Podcast with uh, Victor and Trey regularly and Matt and Jackson most of the time, you know, every other time. But that's, uh, yeah, that's that's where you can find me. Hey, thank you, Nathan. And Doc Shock, sir, what are your final thoughts for listeners and your plugs? Okay, well, yeah, my, what can I say? Yeah, I think about the, uh, there's a scene in a movie called Gross Point Blank, which is a comedy with John Cusack <laughs> where he's a hitman. It's a great and he goes movie. back to his 10-year high school reunion, and him and Jeremy Piven are driving in a car together, and Jeremy Piven just keeps going... <laughs> Years, man. Years. <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, that that might be me. <laughs> That's right. Well, God, but... ten years for HMP. My God, it just means the world to me. It really does. This podcast and everyone involved with it, and the fact that we have everyone here with us now. With the exception of Joel, Jay will have him. Yeah, we're gonna have. have yeah, we're gonna have Kyle and Joel and oh, Jackson God, and yes. Trey. Please, they'll all be in. Please here. have. Well, Kyle was there before me, but yes, please have Kyle and Joel there. It's amazing, and thank you so much for being part of this podcast. 
All right, yes, and of course, Doc Shock is also available at Land of the Creeps, right? And you do like 20 yep. podcasts. I'm going to link them all. I'll make oh, sure they're God. all in the show notes Land for you, Dave, because you're DVD prolific. Resolution <laughs> podcast and uh, Jay of the Dead's new horror movie podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it all of them mean so much to me. Thanks, brother. We appreciate you. Okay, yep. uh, Vicious Victor, what are your final thoughts, sir? And let us know where listeners can find you. Yes, sir. Well, it's great being part of this episode. I uh, really liked hearing us all in one place. And um, yeah, if anybody wants to uh, find out more about what I do on the show and off the show, just go to my website. It's vhrodriguez.wordpress.com. I'm a writer, published my first collection a couple of years ago called The Sound of Fear. And I made a limited series podcast with my friend Josh producing it called Inside the Sound of Fear, where he interviews me about what inspired me to do each story. And I'm also at Dime Store Caesar on Twitter or Instagram. Thank you, Victor. Appreciate it. All right. Trey Whetstone, sir. Uh, let the listeners know um, if you have any final thoughts for them, parting thoughts for the road today, and, um, and also any plugs of where they can find more of your work. Yeah, so I am right here on Horror Movie Podcast. You can hear me with um, Nathan and Victor and uh, Pastor Matt and Jackson, of course, and hopefully yourself from time to time, Jay, as well. Mm -hmm. You can also find me at my solo cast, Screaming Through the Ages, which is much more of my kind of um, little passion project that I do in my spare time. But I love that show and I love doing it and putting it together. So, yeah, you can catch me out over there as well. And now let's hear some final thoughts from our main man, Jackson Rawlings. Well, there you have it, a decade in review. Look, I'm just super excited both to hear this monumental episode and to see where Horror Movie Podcast goes over the next decade. First and foremost, I'm a fan of the show, so I'm eagerly awaiting each episode drop, but I'm also a great admirer of the horror community this podcast has spawned. I know it's made a huge positive impact in my life and the lives of others, and it all began in 2013. Once again, thanks a million to all the listeners. A huge thanks to Jay for having me on. This is Jack Rawlings, signing out. Thanks to Jackson. It's an honor to have this guy who was a listener at age 14, and now he's a host on the show, bringing some excellent horror picks, too, I might add. He brought Possum, Hunter Hunter, and his most influential horror movie was the same as mine, It Follows. Yes, this guy knows what he's talking about. Oh, and in addition to HMP, of course. You can also hear more of Jackson over on Father and Son Watch Horror Movies, so check it out. Okay, Dr. Walking Dead, so happy that you could join us in this weird sort of way where we recorded, but we still inserted you throughout the episodes. (laughs) And I thank you. I thank you. I'm glad to be here as a spectral force. (laughs) See you, people. Behind the scenes. Listeners, we can't take Kyle out in public. He's kind of our... You know, we keep him in the back. (laughs) I'm feral. (laughs) That's right. So, um, Kyle, where can the listeners catch up with you and more of your work online? All right. I am actually uh, making an effort to be present in the community. So I am often found on Jay of the Dead's new horror movies. I try to record with others, but it is challenging. But I do have a segment, The Dead Zone, that um, Jay and I do. Mm Mm-hmm. So I can be found there. And then um, I throw in some extra little bits now and then. <laughs> Under the, the grand umbrella of new horror movies, I have Dead Man Still Walking, 
where I'm doing a systematic analysis of zombie films, both present and past. Kind of a bifurcated historical approach. Mm -hmm. uh, that's usually a solo cast, but every so often I drag in a guest and then we talk about the uh, the living dead. So those are my, my main vehicles of exposure. Uh, Jay and I also did a pretty good coverage of The Last of Us TV series, and that's available through New Horror Movies. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm also trying to be more active uh, on the social medias. So the best place is still to find me on X. I'm holding out. I'm hanging on to X as it dies, <laughs> but maybe it'll recover uh, just because there's such a great established network there. So I'm at Dr. Walking Dead, Dr. Walking Dead. I, I'm on there. And then I share a kind of redundant stuff through Instagram and, and Facebook. But the, the main material, the main feeds, the main mini reviews and the links to the podcasting all goes out through X. And then, you know, I've got some books and articles and interviews and YouTube stuff out there too. So, you know, Google Kyle William Bishop. And if you do Kyle William Bishop zombie, you're going to find more than you want. So <laughs> I am out there. And you know, if you're looking for a college to attend, you're in high school, about to graduate, come to SUU. We'll make it worth your while. That's right. Southern Utah University. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Gilman Joel, um, do you have any final thoughts for the listeners and let them know where they can catch up with more of your work online? Well, my final thoughts for the listeners is this, and it's a friggin' cliche, but it's true. And I know when other people say it, and I'm the listener on the other end, I roll my eyes, so forgive me. But legitimately, all y'all are the reason why, my, my little Southern comes in, all y'all <laughs> are the reason why any of us do this stuff. I mean, we do it for ourselves. We like talking to our friends. We love talking horror. We probably would do, I, actually, let me, let me rephrase that. <laughs> because honestly, we all would probably do it regardless, right? Yeah. But, but the fact that there is even just a handful of people out there, which I know for AJP has been a, a fairly large handful uh, over the years that love these movies as much and sometimes even more than some of us do, or that we can have these conversations with everybody and that you guys have just always been so supportive and, and like kind and decent. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't know. I just, I love the horror fans in general because I think my experience, I think as many people have been that they're just always, not always, obviously, that's a wild generalization, but a large percentage are are embracing, right? Mm -hmm. Of people and and trying to, you know, just be supportive. And, and I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. And I feel like I can safely on this one speak for everybody involved with HEP to thank the listeners for their time and their attention. Because in the world we live in, that is honestly the most valuable commodity. That you give anybody a second of your time is worth something. So yes. uh, there, there, it's got it's of the highest value. So because it's of the highest value, we highly value all of you. So there's that. And if you are so inclined to uh, want to listen to me and others jibber jabber on about such things, uh, be sure to check out Retro Movie Geek, where my buddies Daryl, Peter, and I, and usually a guest of some sort, we talk about movies that are 20 years old or older. And so uh, please check that out. We also have it on. YouTube now is with a video. So we have video and audio. So you can check it. It's in like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the usual. But we also have it on YouTube as well. And then my other regular podcast that I do with Peter and Allison, the horror unicorn, we do Terror on the Tube, where we focus on made for TV horror and suspense movies from the 70s, 80s, and now at least twice the 1990s. Hmm. One of those was great, and one of those was a big smoking turd. So, <laughs> uh, that being said, uh, go check that out. That is also now available on YouTube, as well as all the audio-based platforms. And finally, of course, obviously I'm on Jay of the Dead's new horror movies. Come on, 
Mm-hmm. Come on. Mm-hmm. Watch you have to do two horror movies. I'm, I'm one of the mini horror Avengers. I'd say, I don't even know that I'm quite at like Hawkeye level. I think I probably, let me think, who would be, because I don't know enough about the actual comic books to think of like a character that would show up like every once in a while. And it's like, yeah, he's there. He does a thing, but does he even have a superpower? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Hawkeye, Hawkeye. I'll go with Hawkeye. Hawkeye's okay. marginally cool. Or Ant Man, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, I'm messing. Ant Man can get big. It's, yeah, but... it, it's it's cold. <laughs> it's cold. That's why. Ant Man's got shrinkage. But Ant Man, <gasps> he's a grower, not a shower. <laughs> Stop judging me. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Either one, I'm fine with. So that, and then, and then actually, the real final final is, of course, Mom and Pop Video Shop. Yes. It is a YouTube channel that I do with my my good buddy Tyson, and we put out. And then the moment we're putting out a video like every Monday, mainly because we wanted to build up a library of actual videos, we had nothing. And we're gonna we started doing we did our first live stream on Friday the 13th, which actually went in October, which went exceptionally well. I was actually thrilled. We had like. 20 some odd people on there, which I know it's probably not people like 20 something people. Some people get hundreds or thousands. Look, your channel, as small as ours, just starting out, (laughs) the fact that anybody showed up, I was. (laughs) But it is exceptional, listeners. You gotta gotta check out Mom and Pop Video Shop. 10 out of 10. Love it. Thank you, Jay. You've always been very supportive of everything and especially the the channel. So I very much appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And also, uh, just chat. It's on Mom and Pop Video Shop. If you just search YouTube, you'll find it. And then, yeah, we put out a video every Monday. I'm, I'm trying to get better about making them shorter some of them go a little longer than i want them to but you know you do what you can do uh but yeah we're gonna try to do more live streams at least once a month we're gonna start doing that more often so we can interact with folks because that's just fun so check us out subscribe if you're so inclined and uh thank you in advance and we want to make sure we give a shout out to the musicians who have contributed to this episode where the horror movie podcast theme music you have heard the musical stylings of Frederick Ingram, as well as Kagan Breitenbach, and our very own Jackson Rawlings. So I want to thank all of those gentlemen for their excellent work. I know for me personally, one of my favorite parts of Horror Movie Podcast has always been the music. All right, I think that's it. So don't forget to subscribe to Horror Movie Podcast and visit the Creepy Cool website. Shout out to Megan. It looks great at horrormoviepodcast.net. And on behalf of the Velocipastor, Matt Rawlings, Jackson the Ripper Rawlings, the Night Stalker, Nathan Bartleball, Blood Spray Trey, the Tiger Tamer Whetstone, Vicious Victor, the Hellcat Rodriguez, the Wolfman, Dave Dr. Shock, please don't misuse the Baylor, Becker, (laughs) Dr. Walking Dead, Kyle Bishop, and the Gilman, Joel Robertson. I am your host, Jay of the Dead. And here's to another 10 years. We thank you for listening to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. This is Carl from Movie Podcast Weekly, and you're listening to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. (laughs) Except Carl doesn't even watch horror movies. (laughs) Uh, Am I wrong? Am I wrong about that? No, 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 but but you just blew it, so... When I was a little kid, my dad is a minister as well. He's still alive, he's 85 years old, still works at the church. And um, he founded the church in 1970. In the church, you know, you know every family, you know everything that's going on. And then we had this one family and this probably was like 1977, 78, because I would have been about four or five years old. And we had this family in the church that kept complaining 
They kept saying that their daughter was demon-possessed. My dad, being very logical, analytical, he used to be an adjunct professor of philosophy, he sent the young girl and her family to a psychiatrist friend of his, and they went through the whole thing, and you know, he was like, I don't know what to tell you, I don't know why she's doing these things. I heard my mom tell the story. My dad went over to visit the family one time to check on them, and they opened the garage door, and she was slithering on the garage floor like a snake. I'm sitting there with my oldest brother, my brother Greg, and he and I are standing waiting for something, I think waiting for like gas money from my dad or something like that. We're standing there in the church building, and the couple bring in the teenage girl. She's like 16, 17, and she is screaming. She is foaming at the mouth. Her eyes are rolling back in her head. I mean, she's just going, and I'm scared to death, little kid watching her. My dad walks up to her, puts his hands on each side of her head, closes his eyes, is silent for a few seconds, lets go of her. She falls to the ground. She wakes up. She has no memory of any of this, and she's been fine ever since. Yeah. And I will tell you this because I have asked my father about it on several occasions. He will not talk about it. So then, 10 years later, I'm around 15 years old. My best buddy, Steve, calls me up and says, hey, I'm going to go meet this girl. Do you want to go? And she was in another town and all this kind of of stuff. I'm like, "Ah, I don't want to be a third wheel, man. You go, you know, grow a pair and go knock on her door. And he said, well, her cousin's there and she's a cheerleader. I'm like, I'll be right there. And so I jump in his car. He picks me up and he, he was a year older than I was. And so we go over to this girl's house and We knock on the door, we come in, and they're playing with a Ouija board. I don't know these girls. They're playing with a Ouija board. And Steve goes, this is my buddy, Matt. And so the girl, the cheerleader, goes, do you want to talk to Matt? And the thing goes to no. And they say, do you not like Matt? Doesn't move. They said, are you afraid of Matt? Doesn't move. What are you afraid of? And it's spelled out, they don't know who I am. D-A-D. I hope you have a pleasant evening evening of whatever uh, corpse and whatever. <laughs> Good grief. <laughs> oh, Jay. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, there's a uh, speaking of morgue stuff. <laughs> what? Mm-hmm. There's yep. a movie. Yeah, there's a movie I saw. I mean, Nathan, you know this. There's a movie I saw on Tubi recently. It's a, it's a Tubi original. Um, Give it to me. Give it to me. I guess it didn't have a real uh, memorable title, but... Um, Jerry O'Connell is in it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh the yeah. movie movie with Jerry O'Connell. Yet? Yes. Tell the title. Uh, <laughs> um, it's, it's, it was actually pretty good. There's just two suspensions of disbelief in the movie that go too far. They ask too much of the um, of the viewer. But yeah, it's called Play Dead, and it's on TV. <laughs> oh yes, I've seen. I've seen that. I love that one actually. I like oh, that did? a okay. lot. Yes. Uh, of course you <laughs> did. I like that one. <laughs> I, I like that too. No, the, the one you've seen, Day, uh, Jay, is called Playing with the Dead. It's a different one. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> <sighs> nice. Touche, sir. Touche. <laughs>